You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about not quite Doctor Who, because you didn't want to. I'm JR. I'm Andy. Hello, I'm Lee. Hi, I'm Matt. Um, oh, I tell you what, these three chaps didn't hear what you just did. But if your eardrums have quite recovered, then I should explain that this is our 200th episode. <laughs> and Happy so, although we've got a new theme which will be starting next week... You've just heard the one that will be starting after that in three months' time. But since it was episode 200, because I liked it so much, I thought I'd stick it on this one. Right. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was cracking. I really enjoyed it. Oh, you will enjoy it when you hear <laughs> it. Uh, it's by Chris Lovder, who's known as Chris Carnage. That's Chris with a K and two Excellent. S's and Carnage with a K, 79, on Twitter. <clears throat> Who also says, can I get a cheeky plug for the radio show I co-host on a small voluntary-based radio station in the southwest of England called Summer Valley 97.5 FM. That's S-O-M-E-R, Valley. Mm. He says, the show is called The Progtologists, playing, as you may have guessed, <laughs> Prog Rock. We're on Monday nights, 9pm to 11pm UK time. You can also catch us online via www.summervalleyfm.co.uk or via DAB Radio. And to be honest, I don't think it's that cheeky, imagine asking us for a plug since we've just played his version of the theme. <laughs> so the, the proctologists. The that's, proctologists. That's opening themselves up for a lot of puns, isn't it? Well, I think that's they've actually made one themselves. But um, as you three guys will discover, and everybody else just has, it's a great version. Oh, and if you listen to the end, at the end of this episode, you'll get the uh, middle eight as well, which I've edited out for the start. <laughs> just so that I'd make p- people listen to the end. What, just the middle eight on the sound? Or the whole thing with the middle eight in it? That's what, that's what the McGann thing was. <laughs> I know you have this reputation for being the Blue Box Pod twat. <laughs> <laughs> There's no need just to... showing sort of... off in front of your new girlfriends or something, isn't it? <laughs> There's no need to live up to your reputation in public. Jay was very sensitive. And he's, he's very gentle. Yeah, right. I'm not as sensitive as Perpigillian Brown is, and not as gentle as Colin Baker. Oh, but we'll get to that. <laughs> we may, we may well get to that. Yeah. It may well be edited. <laughs> There'd be no editing on this podcast ever. Well. We'll see. Um, <clears throat> just a quick note to say congratulations on reaching your fourth birthday and your 200th episode. I always look forward to the latest Blue Box podcast landing, and it's one of the most entertaining and informative podcasts to listen to. 
How much did you pay him? Is that you speaking? Are you reading from your Though sometimes I find myself shouting out stuff when you cannot remember the names of actors, which seems to happen at an alarming rate. I can only put this down to your age. Yeah. I do, I do that. Bastard. <laughs> I can only put this down to your age and that you often record late at night when you should all be finishing off your mugs of cocoa before <laughs> matron true. turns out I've, the lights. I've done that even listening yeah. to the ones I've been in, listening to myself, not remembering an actor, and I've been shouting at myself. Yeah, I do it That's, too. Oh, I, I really do. But there's no pressure. When there's no red light on the record thing, the yeah, names yeah, just come yeah. like that. Yeah. And, and now you get to do it on the show. I can forget <laughs> names. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, get, I have to do that when I'm not actually listening back, just live in my own head. Oh, shit. <laughs> I've just, it's a paradox. I've got to try and remember who sent this email now. I'm only kidding, folks. Uh, <laughs> Keep up the good work, and here's to the next four years. All the best. Phil from the Who's He podcast. Hey, oh. that's a good one. That was nice, though, wasn't it? Yeah, he did a really good um, interview with me just lately. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the one I fell asleep in. But uh, sorry, he, the blue box pod twat. What did I say? <laughs> you did, did you really? Did you really fall asleep in the middle of doing a podcast? You're no, so, you're so, such a professional. I fell asleep at listening. Oh, yeah, okay. Sorry, okay. Right, right, right. I thought you were actually like. <laughs> I fell asleep while listening. It's late at night. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm old. <laughs> but you've got your mug of cocoa. <laughs> I have, you're right. Bollocks. I tell you what, Lee, you're sitting on the end nearest the uh, kitchen. You go off and make us all a fresh one <laughs> while we talk about the air zone solution, eh? Oh, yeah, let's all yeah. put our mugs together and celebrate yeah. four, Cheers. No, four, four years and 200, 200 episodes. episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good health. Good God. <clears throat> all right, I promised we wouldn't celebrate this, so let's talk about the subject. <laughs> yeah, this was no celebration. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say I that. We haven't got to I it I don't yet. feel celebratory at the moment. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I just... Uh, I've got a correction to make before we go any further. Last week, I said that Gary Russell had written Dreamland, and of course it was Phil Ford. Yeah. Of course it was Phil Ford. But Gary Russell directed, directed it. Them. He directed them both, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, he did both. Yeah. Did he yeah. correct you? Was it Gary that wrote it? No, because last week's podcast hasn't gone out as we're recording this. Yeah. Plus, I don't think Gary Russell listens to the Blue Box podcast. He might tonight. <laughs> <laughs> he had one line. <laughs> That's true, actually. I thought, oh, great, this is looking up. Gary Russell's here. Okay, bye. <laughs> I didn't even see him, I have to say. I have to back really? Yeah, I missed him completely. I, I missed him I as well. I even pointed him, him out. It was very I quick. Him. I saw him. Yeah. All right. Mind you, there is... <laughs> He's in it. <laughs> All right, tonight we have... I've got two films to review. I'll do that later. We've just... Okay, we'll get to... What we just sat through in a few minutes, because shall we try and do this fairly chronologically? I think we're going to say quickly, and then I thought, no, no, <laughs> not quickly. on the Blue Box podcast. No, no. <clears throat> we are going to talk about the uh, the uh, not quite Doctor Who video dramas that came out in the nineties, hmm. but we're going to start in the eighties and end in the noughties. Um, the first one that came out came out actually while the series was still on air, which is quite unusual. Okay, what we're going to do here is kind of go through the list 
And seeing as none of us have done a huge amount of research for this, very few of us have watched a lot of them. Exactly. <laughs> well, this is going to this is basically going to be the four of us sitting around a microphone, going through a list and saying, "Yep, seen that. <laughs> no, not seen that." And forgetting names. And if we have seen it, we're going to try and throw our mind back fifteen years to when we watched it and see if we can remember something about it. Mm. Apart from the SWAT who actually watched two this week. It sounds like podcast <laughs> goals. If I hadn't God, watched at least two this week, then I would you wouldn't be, be contributing very, very quiet in the corner. <laughs> it all started with wartime in 1988, while mm. the series was still on air. Lee, have you seen that? I have seen it. I own it on video. Oh, oh wow. do you? It's oh. in the loft somewhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, so that's two Treasure. of us who've seen it. Yeah. So we can actually have a conversation about it. it. <laughs> is it is it rubbish? It's um, I tell you what it is. Well, insofar as I remember it, it's like about thirty, twenty five, thirty minutes. Yes. It has that. John Levine as Benton. Yeah. And as I recall I wish it was well, I, mean. I was gonna come to that Lee. Spoilers, sweetie. Okay. <laughs> okay, you can't first blame leave for just <laughs> first and last. Listen, <laughs> I remembered a name. Oh, <laughs> I got excited. I'm sorry. I'll back. I'll that back. was the yeah. one thing you remembered about it, <laughs> and now I spoiled it for you. But you go still on, got go. the name in before I could stop you. What can oh, we say? Go on, you can run. John Levine, as I recall, is driving down the road in his jeep when all of a sudden he goes through a time bubble and is thrown back to World War Two when he yeah. sees his father fighting in some ruins. And that's about it, really, isn't it? it? It is. That's all it is, really. I think Michael Wisher plays his dad. Is that right? Well, I think you've just told us. <laughs> yeah, but I can't... Is it just two of them in it? Yeah, well, there's a few people with no lines, but as I recall, they're just, the only two it, speak. The only two. Was it giving John Levine the opportunity to stretch his acting to sort of I think tense was, It was giving and... him the opportunity to, yeah. yes. <laughs> did, did, did he grasp the opportunity? Like, <laughs> well, it is got to be at least 10 years, if not 15, mm. since I've seen it. Mm. Lee, would you like to comment on that? Yeah, it's got... Um, it, it feels like... We're talking about John Levine's acting. Yeah, it feels like <laughs> it feels like a fan-based. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing this, this, this thing. You know, we can see what I'm doing. No, it feels like a fan-based uh, film. It's sort of, sort of thing that I would have picked up a camera and filmed mm. and done if yeah. I could get older, Mr. Levine. I, I, I think so. I'll tell you what I it is. I thought it was quite nice. It's an episode of The Twilight it. Zone starring somebody who was in Doctor <laughs> Who. Yeah, it's a unit Twilight Zone episode. That mm. sounds all right. That sounds mm. worth doing. It wasn't hideously bad. Yeah. The trouble with this is, A, it was right back at the very start, so it's filmed on what today would look like really cheap video equipment. Very. Mm. So it, although it doesn't look like a home movie, it's not much more than a step up right. in terms right. of the visuals. It's a home movie. <laughs> well, it is what today, these days would be a home movie. You could do this with home movie mm. cameras these days, but back then... To be honest, today's home movie cameras would give you probably a result that would, you know, be almost broadcast. Yeah, not that far quality. off, probably, yeah. yeah. On your phone. <laughs> yeah, literally, yeah. yeah. It's a pity Ian Levine probably couldn't give you something that was broadcast quality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ian Levine. Hmm? So, no. John Levine. John, John Levine. Levine. <laughs> oh, Ian, Ian Levine would be amazing, you know. Oh, that would have been an entirely different film. <laughs> Wartime with Ian Levine. <laughs> That's just a, just a normal day at the Twitter desk, isn't it? <clears throat> I remember seeing this advertised in Doctor Who Monthly, probably, mm. magazine then. Mm. And I must have been, I must have been 11. 
Okay. And it looks so exciting, really, because I think at that point, they'd only, I'd only just started collecting videos. So I hadn't seen any, any John Pertwee at that point. I hadn't seen any unit. So this was the one entry point to unit mm. that, but they didn't sell it in the middle of Hampshire. <laughs> no, get it mail no. order and it was too. limited yeah yeah it sounds it sounds as though it wasn't trying i mean obviously i haven't seen it but it sounds as though plot wise from what you've described it wasn't trying to be over ambitious over stretch itself which is i think no. sometimes the downfall of some of these um non-bbc productions where they they shoot for the moon and they kind of you know miss miserably um there is that i mean there's a few here in this list that look they are, they were sensible just by using a couple of people you know, in small situations in just either a cell or like we said a bunch of ruins with his dad you know and well, well, it was okay the interesting thing about wartime is rather than do a unit story with just John Levine or even if they'd managed to get somebody else in and do an alien invades and John Levine somehow manages to repel it instead they tell an entirely different story that mm. you couldn't wouldn't tell in Doctor Who, mm. which is all about really memory and the things that are passed on between a father and a son. Mm. And while I don't think it actually achieved terribly much, you're right, it was ambitious in the right way and not too ambitious in the wrong ways. Mm. And to be honest, although I doubt very much it would particularly stand up these days, as a first go, it was probably pretty impressive, I should think. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I remember being quite affected by the um, the wartime stuff because I really liked the you know in uh, the Deadly Assassin when they're in the middle of the Matrix and they're being attacked by these you know, World War bombers and Genesis of the Daleks and anything to do with the World War in Doctor Who to me was like exciting. So this, when you hear all the uh, sirens going off and the mm. clack of the guns and stuff, it's really atmospheric. It also sort of appeals to your kind of playground. You yeah. can sort of carry and yeah. reenact it in the playground, this run, yeah. running around shooting and being shot at and falling down hills. Yeah, and... kind of. But this was much more, um, what's the word, ethereal? Ethereal. That's it. Yeah, much more. I mean, it was, it was a ghost story, really. Mm. Mm. Sounds interesting, huh? Yeah, it wasn't too bad from what I recall. That's <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <coughs> the background. That's memory for you. <laughs> it had its right, heart in its right place. Yeah, the yes. background to this is that it was Keith Barnfather who had started Real Time and the idea behind Real Time was that he would do corporate videos and such mm. and as a sideline to the corporate videos that he was doing he was he started The Myth Makers. That's right, yeah. And for anybody who doesn't know The Myth Makers, which have just recently come back, are a series of, well they started off at 25-30 minutes and then they soon sort of got to an hour. So they're basically a series of an hour-long interviews, each one with one particular person from the world of Doctor Who. So, for example, there's a Tom Baker one. Mm -hmm. But there's also, and i tell you what's lovely, there's a Mary Tam one. Mm -hmm. There's a, um, one with Ian Martyr, for example. Mm -hmm. There's one with, um, played Ben. Um, yes. Michael Craze. Michael Craze, yeah. Thank you. Oh, there's one for Phil. <laughs> <laughs> there were also sort of interviews, but gradually they became more drama interviews. No, so it started the other way around. They, oh, really? started, they started, yeah, when they started, they didn't have the confidence to just sit down and do an interview for 30 minutes. So right. they tried to do a story. Okay. So I think Mary Tam is the very first one. And they went with, if I recall correctly, 
a sort of Alice in Wonderland thing. So they've got Mary Tam doing five minutes of interview uh, next to a rabbit hole and then five minutes of interview next to some playing cards or whatever like this. So they just record bits of an interview and then move to a new location and do another bit of an interview. Ian Martyr part of his is in a pub and part of his is outside the pub and part of his is opposite the pub. <laughs> it's all this kind of thing. I'd like to see the Ian Martyr one. Because that's, I mean, because well, he the died thing, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so soon. Well, the thing yes. of the Myth Makers is, even the early ones where they're trying to do all this just to try and make it interesting and before they realised that they didn't need to, the actual interview portions themselves are still really interesting yeah. because you're just talking to somebody on a one-to-one basis. Mm rather than in a convention scenario where you're on a panel or something. Yeah. And because you're out on a location somewhere recording a conversation, except on the occasions where you've picked a really hideous location, mm-hmm. it's a more relaxed conversation. Yeah. And by the end of it, and presumably what they're doing now, mm-hmm. is just going to people's houses and sitting in their living room and just having a conversation. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, they're really good. And it's pre pre DVD commentary. So at the moment they mm. they built up such a repository of interviews for DVD commentaries or for DVD extras that actually if it's pre DVD extras, then they're yeah. really valuable. They're really oh yeah, that's good. absolutely yeah. 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 For, for 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 actors like Mary Tam, who's you know sort of fairly recently mm. passed away, that's and a wonderful time capsule. Like Michael Craze and Ian yeah. Martin, yeah. who were gone before the DVDs. Mm really came out mm. yeah absolutely anyway the, the the sort of reason i brought that up is well that's what he was doing with real time he's making corporate videos and on the sideline he's making the myth makers using the you know camera crews he's using for his corporate videos mm. to do it and then that's when he starts getting the confidence to actually start making proper short films wartime was the first one in 1988 it's seven years before he does the next one which means we have to go over to BBV instead (coughs) and start telling the parallel story of BBV because the story of the fictional dramas that non-Doctor Who ones that came out during the 90s is basically the story of two companies and two people, Keith Barnfather at real time and Bill Baggs at BBV. Now, Matt, before we started recording, you revealed what BBV stood for and the reason why. So it's, uh, well, I looked it up on Wikipedia as you did. <laughs> I said I also listened to, I think it was a, a milk publishing podcast about the audio dramas that, audio that, visuals, that Bill yeah. Bags did beforehand. Yeah. And that gave you a really interesting run up to, to the starting to do videos. So BBV stands for Bill and Ben Videos. Oh. Bill so, Bags. Oh, Bill, Bill Bags. Bags. Yeah. Bill Bags video. No, Ben is Matt. His his girlfriend's nickname, or his okay. wife's nickname. His oh. girlfriend's nickname, and video stands for video. Thank because you. And, and, and the closest you can get to BBC without yes, actually yeah, yeah, saying yeah. BBC. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so, funny but, enough, the first one, "Summoned by Shadows," which is the first Stranger short mm-hmm. film. Uh, I'll do a roundtable in a second to see who's seen that. Mm-hmm. The first one was actually produced on BBC Money. Oh, yeah, because at the end of the credits, it, you'll, you'll see Bill Baggs's name come up as a director. And it says at the bottom, it says um, uh, BBC Film Club, because there is, the, wow. the, there was, and perhaps there still is, a, a club of BBC employees who would get together and in their spare time make um, films and productions. So I'm it was assuming... actually part of a course. Right. 
Okay. So it was his um, production for the end mm. of a course he was doing. Right, but there is as but there far is as I remember, club, yeah. Club, because I I know a couple of people who are BBC employees, and, and what do, they the, what they would do mm. is literally you know just kind of club together and do um, stuff sure at, outside of their their regular you know kind mm. of program making wow. activities. So well, as I recall, Bill Baggs was on a course, and Summoned by Shadows was like his. Might be it might be the film director's course possibly graduating production. Yeah. Well, if it was the film director's course, the only thing that's on his IMDb is the BBV stuff. So mm. he didn't go anywhere else or do anything else. With no, it. but he did a fair <clears throat> amount of stuff here because an awful lot of these are directed by Bill Baggs. All the stranger ones, if I remember rightly, are Bill Baggs ones, and so. all the probe ones are too. And so is the Air Zone Solution, which mm. we'll come to shortly. Mm. But let's talk about The Stranger for a bit. Yeah. I mean, let's not do this entirely chronologically. Let's do all The Stranger ones now. Okay. Who is of us here? Matt, have you seen any of no. The Strangers? No, they didn't appeal to me. I've, okay, Andy. I've recently seen the first two just to get some Which was your swatty homework. That was my <laughs> swatty homework so that I had actually had something to say tonight. So, um... But, okay, before we get into what you thought of them, Lee... You, you, which of the strangers have you seen or not? I've got all of them. You've got them all? <laughs> <laughs> you, wow. I've got all of them. We're like the expert. <laughs> yeah, tell, tell us, Lee. Tell <laughs> us what they're like. Lee is the wilderness years man. He's read all the books. <laughs> oh, he's wow. got a yeah. lot of the, he's listened to a lot of the big finish I stuff. I held and... that damn flame alight on my own. <laughs> <laughs> well, you certainly did as far as the people in this room are concerned. <laughs> I bought the first two Strangers and I didn't like them very much and I didn't get any further. But then having read up on it since, I kind of wish I had because it sounds like they got interesting from about the third one. Yeah, it's, it's a weird old switcheroo. You've got Summoned by Shadows, you know, where we meet Colin as a hermit, I think, isn't it? And it's it's very Doctor Who-y, that's the whole point. As it, I recall... It changes as it goes through. The, the yeah, series. yeah, yeah. Well, we'll talk about the series in a minute. Let's talk about Summoned by Shadows at first. As I recall... It takes place in like a beer garden at a pub or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just there is, it. there is, there is. Um, well, there's a couple of main scenes because it is very recent in my memory. But yeah, basically, yeah. there is um, what seems to be almost kind of a post-apocalyptic landscape. Not necessarily. Well, it isn't Earth. It's not supposed to be Earth, but it looks very much like Earth, yeah. where these people are. Um, uh, scrabbling around in the ruins of this. Um, city or you know um, whatever. whatever it is looking for um, a bit of circuitry basically because our, our sort of bad guy is um, sort of uh, forcing these people to find the bits of equipment that he needs to fix his spaceship and be able to leave the planet and he's basically mind uh, using mind control to make these people effectively mm. slaves but then there's another scene to one side which is kind of joined uh to it tenuously through nicola bryant's character um where that seems to take part um take place not in a beer garden but in a in a sort of a garden party like mm. a summer garden party where everyone's mm. kind of dressed up and looks super rich in comparison to these poor yeah. kind of um uh, post-apocalyptic individuals that are scrabbling around um and the two are linked by this by this creature who in the end looks a bit master like he's in this hood well, with this kind of scarred disfigured face i believe it's played by michael wish michael wish yes yeah it's gonna have a lot of work out of this guy um and um yeah the, the the doctor at the beginning is this 
kind of hobo. The doctor. Do you mean the stranger? The stranger. Come on. What a slip of the tongue that was. Yes. The stranger who absolutely is not the doctor in any shape or form whatsoever. Um, and his, his companion. Can I just interject? Miss Brown. Point. You know, so they haven't even changed um, <laughs> um, Nicholas' no, name. No, not very much. She was, was Miss Brown in the air zone, so it's like. Yeah. He's a hermit at this point. He is. He, he's, he's, he's basically he's living a bit, in a tent, basically. So he's a bit but depressed. He is, he's a little bit like, um, for, imagine a really low budget version of The Snowman. <laughs> where 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 Matt Smith has kind of renounced all of oh, his okay. kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. doctoring adventures and just wants to kind of live mm. a life apart and away from people. I was, it's, think, it's like that. I was definitely thinking of a Raymond Briggs snowman. <laughs> no, 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 no. This, this tent is it? A space do you think? Tent? No. Do you think <laughs> it's a really naff tent? Do you think? <laughs> Do you think he's pissed off that he's changed back from Sylvester McCoy into Colin Baker? <laughs> <laughs> well, was... that's, that's obviously the source of his discontent, so obviously. I swore to myself I was going to get that one out <laughs> by hook my crook. Is there, is there a sort of a... Because in The Twin Dilemma, he talks about becoming a hermit. So is yeah. there a connection? Is this, well, is maybe. This a sort Absolutely. Of a he, I mean, he even, he even wears the oh, classic... Good. Anything that takes influence from... Twin Dilemma has to be fantastic. You make it, you make it sound amazing. Well, actually, <laughs> do, do, do the two stories actually properly tie together? Because I, as I remember when I watched it, which is again got to be ten or fifteen years ago, I didn't think yeah. an awful no, lot of it. No, they're, they're, they're kind of standalone. I mean, uh, there's a line of dialogue which kind of um, that Nicola Bryant gives that kind of bridges the two, but really they're they're, they're kind of separate stories, really. When and yeah, it's still only twenty five minutes. When you long. describe it, I I've, I have in my head Joss Whedon's Serenity. I can't help but no. think of that. Is it not quite as good as Joss Whedon's <laughs> Serenity? It's it's nowhere near. Is it not? Because <laughs> the way Andy describes it, it does make it sound like it's but obviously. The thing that I really liked about it. Um, Wow, you found something to really... Bizarrely, was was, um, actually the thing that made it most different from Doctor Who, particularly current Doctor Who, which is generally, you know, the the, the scripts are so dense with dialogue. Uh, And actually, this one is almost minimalist. Aye, that's what I remember, yeah. as, As we will discuss in a lot of these... Um, uh, programs every 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 time somebody opens their mouth and utters dialogue, that's generally when the 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 quality threshold of the drama goes down. So actually, in a in a bizarre way, because everyone's dialogue in this one was really minimal, mm. it uh, it allowed you to maybe kind of fill in the gaps yourself. So so actually, he was the kind of anonymous stranger um, hermit who reluctantly gets involved in saving these people and defeating the bad guy but thankfully there's not too much dialogue in in the second one um more more than the messiah there is a lot more dialogue and i just don't think it worked as well there was a lot of dialogue in the air zone solution as well yeah Yeah. (laughs) well what i thought when i saw summoned by shadows because what i was expecting was even though it was only 25 minutes long, what mm. I was expecting was something that was going to be sub-Doctor Who. Mm. But actually, what you get is somebody pretending to be the Doctor, played by somebody who was the Doctor, yes. in a story that looks like the person who's written it and directed it has never seen Doctor Who and has watched too many Jean Cocteau mm. films or something instead. It, it, it is it is very different. And I think, in a bizarre way, that's why I liked it, because I think when you're trying to ape... 
liked it. Yeah, I did. I, I, I did. I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, laughing, I'm not, but I'm it's not, a long I'm time not, since I'm, I saw it. I'm not going to rush out and buy it or anything like that if it if it is uh, available on DVD. But I, I, I just I just felt that when you're trying to ape Doctor Who really closely on let's face it zero that's budget that's when you're on the hiding to yeah nothing. i mean you can't you can't do it i mean doctor who even even back in the classic era had a certain amount of money to you know to do things and 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 it's pretty obvious that the bv bbv productions have almost nothing mm-hmm. uh to to work with so it's actually better if you do something that is a bit more left field of um doctor who. you have got a character who is effectively the doctor and he he reluctantly intervenes in the um, the affairs of these people, which mm. is what the Doctor does. I, I actually genuinely think, I mean, it's two years after the, the show stopped, mm. we ended with Survivor. Well, it's not even that, actually. It's January 91, which is yeah, barely so, yeah, 13 yeah, yeah. months. Yeah. So it, it, almost, it does feel like a, a, a very similar production, because obviously the, the types of video being used and, you know, Bill would have gone to look at later Doctor Who, Sylvester McCoy and gone, okay, we can carry this on just like this. Mm. Because it does feel like, if you put Sylvester McCoy in it, it would feel like a continuation. Mm. From things like Ghostlight and Greatest Show in the Galaxy. Yeah. Do you think think this helped by being, obviously, at the end of a possible director's course? So he spent time having this kind of how to direct drummed into him. Do you think that that kind of shaped it? I I I think there are, for me as as, as a filmmaker, there are obvious kind of um, BBC workmanlike traits to how he's gone about um, making it, mm. um, and that perhaps doesn't do it any any favors. But then that's obviously how he's been trained, and and he's probably surrounded by lots of people who are either working at the BBC at the time or have had that sort of influence in the way that they work. And obviously, um, Colin Baker, Nicola Bryant will have had be, been used to a kind of way of working, um, you know, through their years doing Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's always going to have that DNA, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think, mm-hmm. I think what I liked about it is that in the space where there wasn't much dialogue, you know, because uh, I think a lot of these productions are probably let down by a script just not working as well as it should do mm. and you know going in the opposite direction having something very minimal just allows you to kind of sidestep that problem mm. and so what i thought was that you know done with a decent budget with perhaps a better director that could have been actually quite a nice little episode not very doctor who like um in in the way that we've got used to it you know, yeah. recently. But, but again, but, like a Twilight Zone episode with people from Doctor Who in it. Yeah, sort of. probably more of that vibe than than classic Doctor Who as, as such. But so yeah. let's leap forward a year. More than a Messiah then. How does that come across after Summoned this by is, Shadows? I'm just trying to remember. Is this the one about the, the Pleasure Planet or something? Or Leisure Planet? Uh, uh, effectively, yeah. There's Sophie Aldred in it. That's right, yeah. Right. It's, and it, and it's, a, it's a strange, <laughs> bizarre... Yeah. Um, mix of a film basically yeah the, the the plot is they're on another planet with green skies which they very dodgily paint in with the early, early graphics <clears throat> um it's probably it's probably done uh you know on an atari or something like that <laughs> or um you know whatever the, the computer at the time was quantel, quantel maybe i don't know <coughs> um anyway Excuse me. um they're, yeah they're on this 
planet which is supposedly this um, leisure planet place to get away from it all to, to commune with nature again and you've got this main couple who just just, just wait Matt just wait. <laughs> okay just wait <laughs> you've got this main you've got this main couple who are just like a sort of middle age I mean they've all almost been lifted out of I don't know, ever decreasing circles or the good life or something like that. It's kind of, um, you know, kind of middle-aged couple who have come to this, uh, to this world. The, the, the man, it turns out, has been, you know, sort of like fired from his job and he's come there to sort of show how macho he is because he's going to go off hunting. And This isn't a nudist colony, is it? No, but, a, there, but, but, there is, but there is some nudity coming oh, up, oh, good. unfortunately. Oh, good. Great. Yes. Great. Is it Colin Baker refusing to do up his pyjama front again? I'm, afraid, I'm, I'm afraid it is Colin oh. Baker, yes. It's more than that. Um, <laughs> yes. It's, it's, it's oh, more than it's, a messiah. It's, it's, right. yes. yeah. We get to see Colin Baker's messiah. Oh. <laughs> pretty, pretty close. Um, and then you've got... Um, uh, the stranger and uh, Miss Brown on landing on this planet, or they, they just appear on this planet, and you've got another creature who it turns out to be a kind of like a guy-like creature, which feeds in quite nicely to our talk later on about Air Zone, who is played by Sophie Aldred, who kind of embodies the the nature and the natural world mm. of this planet, and when uh, our middle-aged um guy goes out with his sort of shotgun and he wants to bag one of these kind of ape-like creatures that he's seen when they when one of them gets shot it actually hurts and damages sophie aldred's creature she's like mother nature or guy she's like the mm. essence of this planet and then again all the all these characters kind of collide uh together but there's there's one scene um, midway through where um, Sophie Aldred's character finds um, Colin Baker, takes, her, takes him back to her cave. And um, I think, yeah, <laughs> see where this is going. Um, he's, I, I, think, I think he's been obviously, you know, kind of shattered after his huge excesses in the previous story. Anyway, she gives him this kind of herbal infusion thing and he feels much better and then suddenly we, we cut to this shot of the two of them in this cave and, and the camera's looking at them from the front we've got Sophie Aldred in the front with her sort of green like Gaia paint all over her, but naked with a bit of tasteful cave wall just at the right height and then behind her like literally inches behind com completely naked but again you know, tastefully framed is a naked Colin Baker, and um, my my jaw, you know, was like just a couple of inches off the ground at this stage. Just... My jaw's a couple of inches <laughs> off the ground because Nicola Bryant's in this, and where is she in this scene? <laughs> well, she she she, stayed, she remains fully clothed in this scene, <laughs> but <laughs> she's been eaten by Colin Baker. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, it's the it's the most. Bizarre. She's been eaten by Colin <laughs> Baker, which is quite an astonishing thing to say yes. after we watched the air zone Doesn't solution. Where there's that shot of her coming up from his belly. I checked. I checked before we started recording this. Colin Baker doesn't listen to this podcast. That's right, isn't it? Oh, I think because mm -hmm. I hope, okay. That's fine. I hope. He, I hope he. I hope he changes his mind about that. Right. Yeah, I'll yeah. send him this yeah. one. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah I should. I think you should. <laughs>
So anyway, yeah. So I mean, well, that's what. Oh happened. my god, you're not still talking about more than a messiah. <laughs> no, no, I think I think I've seen I've yeah. quite enough actually. Yes. It sounds, was it any good? Like avant-garde and they're all I, a bit avant-garde. It, it's, 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 it's the stranger for that is like Doctor Who's been taken over by the hippies. Well, it's, it sounds like yes. some sapphire and steely. That, yeah, that kind of. If you if you turn the colour off and make it black and white and play some jazz over it, it'll be avant garde. <laughs> right, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> if you turn it off and play some jazz, <laughs> you'll be sorted. But the thing the thing I found about Sapphire and Steel is, as you were saying, once it, when they're not talking, it's really creepy and it's really effective and mm. it's full of really uncanny imagery. Mm. But when they talk, they just talk absolute bollocks <laughs> all the all the time, and you have to sort of just tune into that and or, accept or, or, it. Or filter out. And it's this sort of, really, yeah, this really earnest sort of French mm. existential dialogue, which kind of just on the edge of being rubbish. But I think, I think this is the key for, you know, uh, for, for filmmakers who are either starting out or haven't got access to a, a really good writer. Mm. If you, if your script, if your dialogue isn't convincing, then just don't go there. Yeah. You know, maybe stick to the visuals and often often <laughs> an audience will project into those spaces where you've not given any dialogue. They'll they'll project things that are far more sophisticated than perhaps mm. you either intended or were able to pull off. Mm. And and I think as soon as we get into more sophisticated episodes and, and particularly the air zone solution, uh and they're trying to pull off you know in the air zone solution i think it wants it wants to be um many things it wants to be many things it wants to be edge of darkness it also wants to be all the president's men china, and china uh, syndrome and the china syndrome yeah. and it ain't doing it basically no. it's it's getting are all... you rev into the review already yeah i know it's on the head of myself well, there's a, yes there's, there's, it sounds like there's a broader thing that that they're all trying to be really earnest but to be really earnest you have to have dialogue that actually makes sense and mm. he's earnest, but they're trying well, to fake earnestness. Yeah, the and then it comes off as force and fake rubbish. kind of gravity with the dialogue. What you need to do, quite... first of all, is convince the viewer that the people in your audio, your audio, your video player, human beings, mm. and often that's where these things fall down. Mm. Yeah, you want to. Um, just go on, to... Lee. Talk us quickly through the rest of well, the strangers. Well, just as a side series, swipe. Um, I, I side guess, swipe. Side swipe. I've got some tapes. Is that something that Charlie Brooker does when he sees a fly? <laughs> <laughs> I've got some tapes at home, some cassette tapes mm. with different of the stories. Yeah, uh, I can't remember. Where they're I got on them the from. DVDs. Oh, are they? Right. Yeah, they don't have a DVD of. of yeah, films, they but... as well as the six video films, they also yeah. made some audio. All oh, right, they, they made, quite, they made quite... loads of audio. Okay. They made mm. six six seasons of. Did they of audio? Yeah, oh, before the videos. Right. That's wow. what they were. Yeah. BBV. Yeah. 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 Okay. I thought they were quite good, actually. Anyway, but yeah, in memory alone, that's a that's the third one. This that is really the point. Is Sapphire and Steel, that one. This is the point at which Nicholas Briggs takes over writing them. Yeah, it's um an interesting. I'm just trying to remember the story. Do you remember? No, I've not seen. I've only seen the first two. Okay, in memory alone is where they start giving the stranger a backstory that moves him away from very slowly. Him. Yeah, and it's set on a train station, and it's a, again, it's another kind of strange <clears throat> sapphire and steel. Sapphire and steel, it's not ghostly, is it? There is something more. I think there's an android in it or something like that. But yeah, a bit of technology gone wrong. That's that's what this is all about. It's like a glitch or something, if I remember. I quite liked it, but I always get that. I can't can't get past the lighting and any of. That. Yeah. You know, I've got this problem with the Sontaran strategy with all the green lighting everywhere. Mm. Doctor's daughter. Mm. You know, we saw it tonight. Um, in all of these, you've got 
big chunky light lights blaring this is everywhere. Nineties. The there's no subtlety. Yeah, and no. I just yeah, there's no subtlety, and all mm. I can see is that. But uh, yeah, I think the story is okay. So this this is where Nick Briggs starts writing them, writing them, yeah. and also where he starts acting in them. I think the dialogue was good in this. Yeah, yeah. Mm. The dialogue was better in Memory Alone. But it was, and it was a very simple story. Again, mm. I think there was only about three people in it. Which is good, actually, because yeah. if you're on a low budget and you're on a, you're making a short film, you don't want to put too much in there. Because the fewer people you've got in there, the more you can concentrate on them. Mm. So, yeah, it's own solution. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. and Honestly, that's... everybody wants to talk no, about no, the yeah, own solution. It's that kind of a film. <laughs> you don't want you don't want too big a cast. And the air zone solution, <laughs> on the other hand. Right, yeah, we've been so, going for... I was hoping to whip through these really well, quickly. I know, oh, sorry, three, yes. Yeah. Um, in Memory Alone, is, is a studio, it feels studio-based. I think it is studio-based. Um, then in the terror game, and we could probably go for the last three all in one go, Breach go the on. Peace and I the Beholder, suddenly it, it, it changes. We get this kind of... Um, we get the backstory of the stranger. There's a sort of gangster element. There's thing, a gangster element. There's EastEnders. It's Dimensions in Time done with guns. <laughs> Basically, oh, really? no, sorry, it a, but it's got that EastEnders thing going. There's okay. a little bit of a gangland thing. Louise Jameson's in there was a, a pub landlady. Um, you know, you've got uh, uh, David Troughton turns up hunting the stranger. I think mm. he's uh, in all know, three all, of them. Yeah, and they're in kind of suits and things. It's it. I quite like them, but it's completely different to the first three. Mm. It's almost like they've, I've, I've they've gone never, in a different direction. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. never seen it, but is anything like the Philip Martin Gangsters series? Because that's supposed to be... Oh, I've seen it. Is there anything like Philip Marston's going to Well, I've not seen The Three Strangers, so oh, okay. I couldn't say. That's, this is going to get complicated. So he's yeah. seen, seen the BBs, you've yeah. seen Gangsters. Let's assume think, it is like that. Think at the time, when I saw the terror game, I was quite impressed. I thought, oh, this is good. I quite like this. It's taking itself, it's taking itself seriously, and it's, it's, it's up the ante a bit. You've got David Trown in it doing this quite a good thing. Louise's, and the whole thing just felt a bit more grown up and... Mm. You know, they were heading towards and they they finally found their a uh, way of doing it. Yeah, okay. their backstory. Right. You know, yes, he's in a the time f- traveler, but he kind of he goes through the web and he just pops out here and there, whatever. Okay. So, but in the yeah. first three, they're fishing around for something tonal to yes. hang themselves yeah. on, yeah. whereas by the fourth one, they've kind of worked out what yeah. kind of a tone they can manage mm. with the money and resources available. And I so by this point now, they're actually making the best of their resources, whereas yeah. before, they're fishing around. And you can and imagine Nicholas Briggs literally turning around and saying, I think it should go this way, guys. Yeah, because you know, Nicholas Briggs is the free. kind of guy who comes in and says, wait, I'm not going to say he's a control freak, but he's the kind of guy who, if he's working on something, he wants, well, to, not to put too fine a point on it, he, he, if he knows how to do something, he's not going to let somebody else say, right, let's do something we can't do when he knows damn well that they can do something that they can do. Yeah, yeah. So that's what happens there. Um, oh, on the point of gangsters, the first series of gangsters is just a regular gangster programme. It's mm. only in the second series that all the weird shit starts happening. Right, yeah. So it's like complete teller two halves that, like the stranger. <laughs> Let's move on. Nothing over, we stay. No, 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 we're going chronologically. So the oh. next thing... <laughs> The next thing that happens after The Stranger is the Air Zone solution. At last. <laughs> right. This is 
With the Stranger videos, what they're doing is they're trying to do Doctor Who on a budget mm. and without actually referencing anything from Doctor Who because they don't have the rights. They can't, yeah. And this is before because um, by the time you get to, well, the very next year after this, they work out a way of doing it where they can get the rights to certain things mm. and we'll get into that after we've talked about the Air Zone solution. But... During this period where they're trying to do it completely without any rights whatsoever, but doing sub-Doctor Who, it suddenly strikes them. Instead of doing sub-Doctor Who, why don't we actually try and do something which can be basically a shop window for everybody who's working on it Mm. that actually says, okay, you think we're just Doctor Who fans making little Doctor Who films to keep the Doctor Who fans happy while there's no Doctor Who on television is an actual film that we've made on the same resources with the same people that could stand up against, you know, whatever is on the television Mm. or in the cinema. And, of course, you couldn't put it on television or in the cinema because it's on such a low budget. But, actually, what they're trying to do is just demonstrate that they can do this kind of thing. Mm. So they come up with the Air Zone solution, which probably, purely by coincidence comes out in the 30th anniversary I, year. <coughs> I thought that because they were planning the Dark Dimension mm. at the same time with the four main Doctors and that actually gave them the idea to come off to and come do up, this I, yeah I, I think, think it's so. a meeting of the two ideas yeah, isn't it? I think it? it got the actors together at some point and they said well if we can't do let's this, use them in this let's, instead let's yeah. give the band mm. something and they cobbled together and they come up like with rapidly. a story yeah. that's got absolutely nothing to do with Doctor Who, so that they can... But it's probably still slightly better than The Dark Dimension might have been. <laughs> <clears throat> might well be. Well, the thing about the Air Zone solution is, it might not have an awful lot to do with Doctor Who, but as we've already alluded to, it's got an awful lot to do with an awful lot else. Because it is basically just a really low-budget edge of darkness, along with all these other bits and pieces of other things. Mm. Actually, I'll tell you what came out the same year as Edge of Darkness was a film with um, Gabriel Byrne, I think, and Denham Elliott. Defence of the Realm. Mm. Defence of the Realm. Really good mm. film. Yeah. And has almost yeah. exactly oh. the same oh. story as Edge of Darkness. Mm, it is. It's, 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 it's very much that kind of dark underbelly of what government or corporations um, are, are doing and, you know, certain characters uncovering. Is it an eco thriller? Yeah. yeah. This, is, this is sort of a, sta- yeah. a standard yeah. sort of post, post-Thatcher it's... conspiracy thriller yeah. in the 90s and mm. in America as well. You get, you get this sort of, they've left the kind of conservative era and they're starting mm. to move towards, towards the collapse of the Tories. Mm. And so it's all about sort of the apocalypse and also, it's the start of global warming, mm. and mm. and it's the sort of the second, the seventies were the start of of the environment, but the nineties was where it suddenly. Well, we're talking eighties with Defence of the Realm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, but eighty four, same year as Edge of Darkness. Yeah, eighty four or eighty six. I think eighty six actually. Eighty six yeah. was um, uh, yeah, Edge of Darkness. But I think it it it, it stuff spilling over from the seventies. So you had the the paranoia of kind of Watergate and the cynicism of, um, you know, from the Vietnam era, spilling over into in, into into other things as well. So. I see a direct line between things like All the President's Men mm. and the Parallax mm. View oh, yeah. spilling into things like Cold. Edge of Darkness, most definitely. Yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's Cold Wars Corporation. So, so the thing about the 80s is it's about the nuclear bomb and it's about nuclear 
pollution, mm. whereas the 90s yeah. was about global warming and air zone yeah. was part of this, and it's about the atmosphere, yeah, and it's about bugs. Mm. And yeah, air zone mm. was the yeah. same, it's, sort of. uh, it's basically... they're all about the atmosphere, but one of them is about being polluted by nuclear, and the other one yeah. is about yeah, being yeah. polluted by. The lack of an yeah, ozone. Yeah. So what we could say is a, almost a carbon copy. Oh, only you had to get that one out. <laughs> I had to get mine out earlier. I feel better. He's rubbing just my like back. He's, he's rubbing his out before that. Just, just, he's rubbing my back like I've just done a bird. <laughs> just, just be thankful he's rubbing your back. <laughs> well, We've had to put up with much. I'm not stabbing him. No, I need, I need I'm not doing my else. best Nicola Bryant impression. Air <laughs> <laughs> zone solution. Okay, quick round table. Uh, Matt. Did you enjoy it? It's better than I remember. I saw it. We said that was going to be our catchphrase. I know. I know. It's, it's not as bad as I remembered it to be. I remembered seeing it. It must have been, must have been around the time it was released because I got excited. I thought, if I can't have the dark dimension, I'm going to have the air zone solution. So it was the first BBV video I bought and I watched it and, and it just didn't, didn't work for me at the time. But now I found it really hilarious. So I managed to get, to get through it. I think John Pertwee was possibly the weakest. I think the problem is... Well, they just filmed him wandering around the streets well, and then just edited it in. They, literally, they, had, I they don't, literally had him for a day, didn't they? I don't think John Pertwee is an actor. I think he's a performer. So yeah. he's great as the doctor because he's being John Pertwee. Mm. He's great putting on silly voices beforehand because he's performing. He's great as Wurzel Gummidge because he's put some, putting on silly voices and he's performing. But stick him in drama. He really wants to be a dramatic actor. He really wants to be like Leslie Phillips and move into dramatic acting. And you can tell that he's got this sort of drive in his eyes that he can do these things. But he just doesn't, doesn't quite he just doesn't off. work. No. Just, well, not possibly with the material that it was given. Well, no, really. that's, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, to be nice to him, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, material, the material wasn't great. <laughs> but he wasn't acting great either. either. No, I don't know whether he was ill or not, but uh, he just—he wasn't really. He was—he was close to the end, was yeah, he? Three I years, mean, three, three years, years before yeah. he actually yeah, yeah. died. Yeah, he—he yeah. he did. He did look a lot yeah. frailer. I mean, the 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 uh, the John Pertwee that I remember is the obviously the man of action leaping mm. from Bessie mm. into yeah. a Humobile or jumping out of a helicopter and you know doing all his mm. own stunts. I like I like John. Um, I really like John Pertwee, and I actually met him. To, it was actually ninety four, I think. Oh, you were just there, after this, and and the the aura he gave off, he was really charismatic. Where, where did you meet him? Just he he came to Cricklade College in Andover to oh, give right. his one man show, and my dad managed to smuggle me backstage in the, <gasps> the interview. So I went into his dressing room. Wow! Unfortunately, it wasn't a, a yeah yeah. It's not like most of the nineteen seventies entertainments. Nothing happened. So what happened was you walked into the dressing room so, and he's sitting in one corner staring at the mirror and you're sitting at the back staring at him. Five minutes later, nothing's been said. You just walk out. And well, go, no, no. Like, so my dad was there. He was drinking Coca-Cola. He smelt like cigarettes. And my dad and he had a conversation about how he'd done a Doctor Who in Wookiee Hole. Oh, and my dad was... Well, no, <laughs> he no, did a Doctor Who Wookiee Hole. That's, that's going to be a euphemism. That's, but that's what I thought. I thought wrong one. I was thinking, because dad was thinking of Revenge of the Cybermen. Mm. And I was thinking, no, no, John, you weren't there. Fortunately, I didn't say anything. No, no. And John Pertwee immediately said, oh, yes, I remember that one. Yes, oh. that was great. 
Ridiculous. That was the mutants. But then he was the mutants, yeah. So he, he did do one in Wookiee Hope. Right. And oh. I didn't know that at the time. So there was a whole there was a whole confusion. We had a very confused conversation Can we stop about the Wookiee Hope. I love it when that he happens. signed he signed my copy of the demons, my target copy of the demons, yeah. and I went away. He signed oh. something for my friend Will. That's and really lovely. And it was really he was really nice. I was warned before I went in that he was very down to earth. And so I was quiet, what does, what does quite jumping. Why well, don't I don't know? It means he swears like he a navvy. Well, yeah, right. he could have. He could have been a little bit fractious. Okay. So he, they warned me not to gush. Okay. So to He's don't, gush. Don't, don't gush over Pertwee. They said he don't. He doesn't like it when people gush over him. So so I resisted gushing. I was very restrained. If anybody's doing any gushing in that yeah, room, yeah. let Pertwee lead the way. There was no way. There was no way I was going to gush in front of my dad. Can I just say, anybody yeah. from Operation U Tree that is listening to this, John Fat dead. So I just like fine. to. <laughs> <fine>. <laughs> Frankly, I'd just like to apologise to anybody. It was a very, it was a very touching moment. I saw John oh. Pertwee, and I was, I, <laughs> I came away feeling really touched, <laughs> and it's and it's had such a such a, a massive effect on my life. That, that I said, and I wrote about it. I wrote about it for the new uh, target, the, the the target, you on target. You had a you on target, John. You on target? Is it called you on target? It was. It was. Uh, JR's gone red. I think he was having some sort of apoplectic fit. Oh. It was. It was a big moment in my life. Yeah. Big, big moment, massive yeah. effect. Massive effect. Yeah. The thing about the air zone solution is. <laughs> It's a draft and a couple of extra scenes away from being right, actually rather good. Yeah. Yes, oh. agreed. The dialogue in it is mostly better than serviceable. It suffers from that thing that amateur productions suffer from, where nobody script-edited it, so nobody said, actually, this might look like a nice line of dialogue on the page, but coming out of somebody's mouth, mm. it's going to seem a bit daft. It's also got this slight torchwood thing where they <clears> slipped <throat> in a few swear words just to make it sound adult, uh, whereas, in uh, fact, hearing, hearing Sylvester McCoy swearing, it just <clears throat> in a sort of slightly incomprehensible <clears throat> Scottish accent where you need subtitles. I'm not oh, quite yeah. sure what he said, but I think he said two rude words in quite a sort of... There was that swift. moment where he's, yes. he's really in uh, Colin Baker's face. I believe one of, one of the words was definitely said? cock, but no. I couldn't tell what the other word was. No, I think it, no, I think so. I no, think... McCoy would never <laughs> say the word cock. I did, no, he said, I, I think definitely cock came out of his mouth. Oh, oh, Mr. Barber. Who, playing who, to the crowd. Who brought you on this? <laughs> oh, dear. Are you, you and Sharon mates? Are something? you saying you think I ought to pull him off? Oh, <laughs> I'd just like to say. Oh, dear, that, was, that, was like a, that was like innuendo. <laughs> innuendo. I'm going to go and make a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> the. Yeah, a few script edits away from being decent dialogue. Yeah. And, um, well, we said briefly before we started recording, but um, Andy and I thought it needed an extra scene, and Matt thought maybe it needed a few scenes <laughs> trimming. But one way or the other, it was the wrong length. Mm. What it was... It's was, an odd length, yeah. It didn't quite tell a story, so it either needed to be... <laughs> It either needed to be a short story or it needed to tell a whole story. But what it really needs is, because Colin Baker 
is given the responsibility he's of the resolving main, he's the story. He's the main protagonist. And he, but he doesn't get to do anything. No. He gets told things rather than finding mm. things out. He spends a lot of time with his pyjama pajama jacket yeah, yeah. undone. But the thing is, you get to the end of it, and he has to have this confrontation with the villain. Mm. But prior to the confrontation with the villain, he's not actually found anything out for himself. Mm. And unless you find things out for yourself, you don't get as invested in them. Well, again, so it's difficult to believe that the yeah, character's invested enough absolutely. to pull off the confrontation. Well, I think, again, you know, we've been making the comparison between this and... Edge of Darkness, Edge of Darkness yeah. which it's mining the same territory, and I think that's a really good example. So you've got the um, the character of um, Craven, p- played yeah. by um, Bob Peck, in Edge of Darkness, and he he's obviously a policeman, he's a copper. He, his job is to investigate. So within obviously the longer span of six episodes or whatever it is, he actually gets to find out why his daughter was killed. He he there's a scene quite an involved scene where he does break in to an office to retrieve some computer files very much yeah. like peter, peter davison's Davison. does right at the beginning so he's given things to do and then ultimately he goes down into the into the cave mine network to find out exactly yeah. what's going on with this uh corporation that's dumping nuclear waste so he's given the things to do that Colin Baker needed to do. They needed mm-hmm. to be. They need structurally. They need well, to Colin be a Baker's scene. playing a proxy in this, really. Well, what, do you, what you're saying, Peter Davison, Davison, what you're jealous. saying is, mm. Craven's actually been split into three: Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, and Peter Davison. Yeah, but for mm. far less time. Um, so you've actually got three characters doing the same jobs. Two, because what, two. Sylvester McCoy is essentially playing Joe Don Baker. Yeah, right. he's he's a sort of the, the psychic investigator that, that's bringing information to him. So I mean, there there is a partnership there, but I mean, obviously, the main lead, the main thrust, in terms of the character, is is really supposedly on uh, uh, Colin Baker's shoulders, and he's just not given enough to do. I mean, the thing for me that this shows, I mean, if you take Edge of Darkness and say something like Air Zone Solution, is the difference between a really cracking first-rate television drama and something that just doesn't quite work it's actually really quite small mm. you know mm. a little a little bit more writing maybe a stronger director to get some mm. um slightly better performances out. i think nicola bryant actually gives a really, a really good, good performance apart and from this one scene that she's really wooden in that i don't think works for her but the rest of it she was very good yeah, yeah. And, and and you know she got to maybe stretch a little <clears throat> of acting muscle that she, she never got a chance to do in, in I, Doctor I, Who. i've got to say I, I didn't think the acting was that bad it was just no, no, the acting no, was ge- ge- very good generally smaller, it was all right smaller yeah. you know a company that were acting or some yeah. smaller people they, they weren't quite so great but the main no i think most of them actually yeah. did pretty well. There Nicholas was the, Briggs was really good. Nicholas Briggs was, yeah. The bad evil S was okay. Cummings was in there, wasn't he? Alan yeah, Cummings, I yeah. mean, obviously, you know, knowing what we know about Alan Cumming uh, now in terms of his, you know, more of his comedic range, I mean, he obviously wasn't being stretched in, in the way that we know he, he can be as a, a as an <clears> actor. <throat> but yeah, I don't think anyone was giving any really awful performances. I mean, John Pertwee just wasn't utilised yeah, particularly yeah. well. And, Sorry, I listened to the, the Ver- Verity podcast, the last Verity podcast, and they were talking about the Zero, one of the Probe episodes. And they were talking about how difficult it was watching actors who played the Doctor playing different characters mm. and, and trying to buy into those characters. Mm. And I can understand what they're saying, apart from Peter Davison, who I think 
has had a career that's sort yeah. of has, he hasn't been typecast. Yeah, as a doctor. he's done many but other Colin, things. Colin Baker and John Pertwee. Mm. And actually, I thought Sylvester McCoy was more successful in this. I quite liked Sylvester McCoy because I think that sort of weaselly conspiracy theory kind mm. of nutter. That, yeah. that kind of that suited him very yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. In fact, so in a weird way, he could have <clears throat> almost, he could have almost taken that slightly further. Yeah. Um, I no. thought Colin Baker was very good. I, I, I just thought the part yeah. that was written for him to play needed finessing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's it's some it's some of the it's some of the best stuff that I've seen Colin Baker do. It was it was nice yeah. to see him <clears throat> play a character that was kind of troubled. Apart from the weatherman stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, the weatherman stuff was what it was. He comes yeah. across as oily, but I think but he's I think supposed to come the, across as oily. Yeah, but I, I didn't I like him. But no. I'm not sure I was supposed Maybe to that like was the him. Point. Yeah, mm. it's always difficult when yeah. So to See, before him, Doctor yeah. Who, Colin Baker had often been given fairly shouty roles. Mm. Or fair, when I say shouty, obviously I'm using that as a <coughs> word to mean a shouty and villainy. Well, well, I remember yeah. it was Paul Merrony from The Brothers mm. when I was yeah. very young. You know, that was kind yeah, of yeah. quiet Sunday evening viewing back in the. Mid mid seventies, and the other thing that most Doctor Who fans will know him for is Bayban the Barker or whatever it is in Blake <laughs> Seven. Bayban the Butcher, isn't it? Bayban the Butcher. Bayban the Butcher. Yeah. I prefer Bayban the Barker. <laughs> I thought he was Bayban the ba- Barber. <laughs> the, <yeah. laughs> or the Baker. <laughs> but but but. <laughs> oh, oh. oh, he's hot tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sense. So, I mean, the other thing about Edge of Darkness was it. It was very cinematic. So it was one of those the, the one of those television series that yeah. could have been was filmed as a film. It whereas was, this it, is sort of trying to do that, but, but and, and maybe again, it should have gone more television. Than off, yeah, I mean, there are there are lots of reasons for that. I mean, it's interesting that you say that um, uh, Edge of Darkness is is very cinematic. Its director is um, Martin mm. Campbell, yeah. mm. who later on went to do GoldenEye, Casino Royale. Yeah. Um, so, and he had documentaries as well, didn't he? So he came from a sort of yeah. I mean, basis but basically, he had a real eye, mm. you know. And there are some wonderful sequences in um, Edge of Darkness where he's got these wonderful kind of uh, tracking shots that, mm. that that do wonderful. What they call one is basically a single take that kind of encompasses all of the the elements that are needed within the scene, rather mm. than just cut, tell you cut, what cuts. you need to do with Edge of Darkness if you really want to give yourself a treat is watch it in sixteen by nine. All right. Well, it's okay. made on. It was it was uh, shot film. Four, yeah. Uh, but it's shot four by three yeah. for television presentation. But the thing about when you shoot four by three on film is you're using film cameras, so the cameramen who are using them tend to have an eye for a 16 by 9 composition. Mm. So actually, you lose very little by chopping the top and bottom yeah, of the picture. because they were the frames. So if you watch That's Edge of Darkness in 16... I've done it, and yeah. I tell you, it is lovely. It's a great like soundtrack that. as well. Mm. It is. It? Oh, yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. Um, well, again, look what the composer went on to do, Michael Kamen. Yeah. Mm. Michael Kamen with, with Eric Clapton. Yeah. Uh, the, the guitar thing is the, mm. the, 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 the thing that you really remember. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I went house and bought Willie Nelson after watching it. All of a sudden. Of course, Nelson's yeah, because Joe Don Baker does the. Yeah. Uh, We're yeah, reviewing yeah. Edge of yeah. Darkness. I know, we are, yes. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> we've, we've moved on to Willie Nelson now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's going, going there. So, yeah, oh, so that's obviously. Was it an Should we, before we do move on and talk about mm. things like Probe and then 
because this is where real time comes back in as well after this point. Mm-hmm. Shall we shall we try and mark Air Zone Solution since we've sat and watched it? Oh, do, you, do you mean destroy I've it? I've got a couple of things <laughs> well, to say about it. Yeah, go on, go Sorry. on. Sorry. Um, KP, BT, Gourmet Chris, Britvic, Coke, <laughs> product placement. No, do you know what's going that, on there? That's what's missing in your films, Andy. I know, <laughs> I know. Yeah, and the money that goes with it as well. Yeah, that's what's missing yeah, yeah. from Do you know what's going on there? Because they're obviously not getting paid for that. But what they're also not doing is not having a budget to make their own crisp packets and their own drink cans, mm. which is what happens on television yeah, and in films. Yeah. Well, also, I got the impression that because um, Peter Davison quite likes... Quite likes um, like prop acting. So yeah, he likes yeah. to have something to do so with his hands. He had the bag of so crisps on his lap. It's quite distracting to have this character just eating crisps. I know. All the way through the scene. Yeah. But I think it was because you know, he likes having crisps. glasses. And well, this is the thing. When you're doing television or film, you've got enough time to rehearse things so that you don't need props, so that you feel comfortable in the scene. Mm. But if you're doing it basically hit and run, which is what they're really doing here. Mm. You've not got time to sit and rehearse things. You don't have time to get comfortable in your mm. character in mm. the scene. Yeah. So something like a prop yeah. will help you distract yourself yeah. from the fact that otherwise you've got to try and find a position to hold your arms in mm. that doesn't look or feel uncomfortable but at the same time, isn't doing anything. And they were all doing it. So Colin Baker was doing things with his tie, and Spencer yeah. McCoy was doing things with his watch. So mm. they were all sort of the thing, massive actually, yeah, ticks. with Peter Davison, we first see him looking, I don't know, a little bit annoyed, a little bit, um, I don't know, he, he looked odd in the corner of the room as if something was going on that he didn't like. And he was eating crisps nervously almost. Mm-hmm. And then once the crisps disappear and we get to see who he is as a character, mm-hmm. for some reason those two scenes just don't fit in with his character no. at all. It's just really odd. You see, if you can have a prop, mm-hmm. you need to have it for a reason. You, you, may, just, you see him looking uncomfortable, almost like he didn't want to be there. <laughs> well, and then ten minutes later his character's dead and he's not. <laughs> and then a paycheck comes through. Um, <laughs> But uh, also the ghosts. We, obviously, with Edge of Darkness, we had the the ghostly. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Peter yes. Davison is playing Joanne Wally. Joanne Wally, yeah. yeah. And he goes, doesn't look as nice, obviously, but yeah. But the, in the edge, in edge of Darkness, we're never entirely sure whether the ghost is a ghost, whether it's in uh, you know Craven's head mm. guiding it. Yeah. That's why it's beautifully done. That's why it's beautifully done. Yeah. In this. It's a. It is a ghost. It's a. It's a guy. A ghost. Yeah. Because it's four, three people. And the way they bring, the way visually they bring Peter Davison in to do those ghostly moments is, you know, is a little bit hand-fisted compared to how they did it in in Edge of Darkness, yeah. where you do literally wonder: uh, is he is he just giving voice yeah. to um, his the daughter in his head, in, in his head or is she literally? In God, front, in God front of him, him. yeah. So um, there was there was lack of subtlety there, and again, I think a, a director with enough time and with a strong visual sense would have found ways. Mm. I to, thought the bit where he comes better. out of the mirror worked rather the, nicely. The, the very yeah. first time that we see him, when he when he's literally Standing placed, behind, placed him, yeah. behind Colin Baker and comes out, yeah. that's almost, almost. I mean, it's very well done. It's almost a scary moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're not expecting, but all it's the other ones. Bomb, yeah, yeah, it's a bit. He's, yes, it he's is. Constantly appearing behind <laughs> people and putting his hands on their shoulders. <laughs> yeah, and he it just, just Davison just to stop appearing. Oh, no. the world, just <laughs> pouncing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's that one bit where um, he, he, he's appeared to Colin Baker and then Colin Baker does his tie, walks down the corridor, and then he 
reaches out again and grabs him, and it just it just felt a little bit off. There's some deleted Don... scenes on the uh, disc, including one where Peter Davison puts his hand over the other two guys' shoulders and said, "Guys, you're here for the three week shoot. I only did three days. That's what's called having a career." <laughs> <laughs> Does he really say that? No. Oh, <laughs> oh, that'd be brilliant. <laughs> I made that up. What a shame. <laughs> Well, Sylvester McCoy's done all right for himself yeah, now, yeah, hasn't yeah. he? We are joking, aren't we? Of course. Because Colin does listen to this. But Colin Baker's <laughs> actually having something of a resurgence these days as well. Uh, he's never it's, like, big, he's, it's big finish audio. He's, he's always never done been off right. the stage. Yeah, no. So that's the thing about actors is just because... They don't appear on your television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, not, yeah, they're yeah. not doing work, yeah. yeah. A lot of panto. Mm. Yeah. No, I think since the 50th, though, especially, you're starting to see... Well, if you listen to radio adverts and such like, Tom Baker's now popping up all over the place as well. Tom Baker. Yeah, but he, he, always, yeah, but he always did quite well with voiceover work yeah. anyway. Didn't but he? since the 50th mm. anniversary, that's really put the doctors into the public's mind. Yeah, it's remarkable. And when I say the public, I mean the, the, the people who are the general public who actually are the, also the people who decide who gets to do the voiceovers in radio adverts. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Mm. <clears throat> Shall we try and mark it? I mean, mm. this is going to be a really difficult one to mark because how do you judge it? But, but but my criteria is always this. What does it set out to do and how successful is it at doing that? So, Matt. I think as, a, as an amateur film and an ambitious amateur film that that's uses pretty justified things as their inspiration, I think it's probably a 7 out of 10. Andy? Well, no, we'll save you to last, because okay. you're the professional. All right. Lee? <laughs> it's an odd one, eh, because it's a product of its time so much, and it's, it's difficult to get by it. And it is, it is Edudanis, um, mm. done on the cheap. So if I could... But if then I could again, just it, yeah. to... <laughs> it is, though, isn't it? But just to yeah, ameliorate yeah, against that, yeah, when you're doing, like, an amateur film like that, you have to try and sell it to an audience. Yeah. And if it's not... And if it's got all these Doctor Who people in it, okay, that sells it yeah. to the Doctor Who audience. But by the same token, they're not being Doctor Who, so you also have to resell it to them in another mm, way. Yeah. So by saying, this is our version of something that else that you also mm. like... That's kind of why you do it. So if, I can if appreciate. If we didn't that. have Edge of Darkness, obviously, then you'd be looking at this going, oh, "That's a really original kind of, it's a great eco thriller." This. <laughs> so in a in a way, I think you know, taking myself back in time and not really judging on today's standards, I I enjoyed it, and mm. I've always liked this one. Oh really? A bit yeah. of a guilty pleasure with it, to be honest. There's a whole That's hand. Wow. Well, <laughs> talking about guilty pleasure. <laughs> I, I can tell that. I could feel the heat, the heat coming off you every time Colin Baker appeared with his chest exposed. I was about to say, if you could cut those bits. Is it out, the heat you saw coming <laughs> no, off? No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can yeah. feel the heat and the sort of a creaking noise. I don't uh, know what that was. Feel the heat in me. <laughs> if, if you could cut. <laughs> Like Matt, I think I would have cut a few scenes, and yeah. those, those scenes are definitely would be on the cutting room floor. There's mm. no reason for them to be there. But yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it, and I I thought I was going to hate it tonight because I haven't seen it for ages. And I thought, mm. oh, in the company of you guys, we'll have a laugh, and it'll be funny, and it, we'll be pointing out all the rubbish bits. And mm. the sixty-five still, minutes went still, so quickly, actually, didn't it? I still came mm. away thinking, actually, that's right on my street. That's the kind of story I like to be told. All right, just I'd get to your score. Eight. Ten. Wow. Fair it's enough. Quite high, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised okay. Right. I said I was saving you to last, Andy, but obviously, as the host of this podcast, it's incumbent upon me to go last because obviously I'm really important. <laughs> but I'm going to give it a seven out of ten. Uh, 
Because I pretty much sort of agree with both of these guys, but I don't think if I'm gonna, as, as invested ape, in it as if Lee. If you're going to ape something, ape the best. So I've aped so, Matt's so door no, no. instead of Lee's. Ape Edge of Darkness. Don't yeah, ape, yeah, yeah. Don't ape El Dorado. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. Darkness. So. There we go. So two sevens and an eight so far. Now the deciding right. vote. The deciding vote. The professional. The, the thing we've all been waiting for. <laughs> the yeah. director. You haven't. So. Of the Seasons of War short film. <laughs> well, I... I'm not building you up in for any reason in particular, <laughs> Andy. Don't a, embarrass me. Don't let me down. Didn't mention award winning. Oh, I'm really award-winning. The award winning director right. of the Seasons of War film. Or will be for posterity and will go to Colin Baker for his. <laughs> His consideration. For, for his, you know how for his retirement funds, yeah. <laughs> yeah, bags. Yeah, Barnfather. Yeah, Briggs. Your film is about to be rated by the award winning director of the seasons of. It's like the Oscars. It's like the Oscars. It is, isn't Go. it? Yes, yeah. I don't yeah. know why I bought Barnfather on there, even though it's to do with. Um, but he has another name with a B, so... <laughs> Chuck him out. And, uh, yeah. yeah, and Ben. It is, I mean, it is interesting that obviously I'm... Well, put them out then, Missy. No, 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 I'm, 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 I'm going to drag yeah, yeah, it out. I'm going to drag yeah. it out, yeah, after that build-up, jeez. Um. <laughs> I think, in the very quietly in the background, we should help him build it up by... Oh, money, Money, uh, oh, is that money, a giant spider I can see over there? Money, pat me up. Oh, money, pat me up. Oh, money, pat me up. Oh, money, pat me up. Well. As as a filmmaker... The second half of this podcast is going to be such a disappointment. No, this is it. As a filmmaker who has attempted to make my own versions... Um, of Doctor Who on, you know, zero budget. I have a lot of, I have a lot of sympathy for all of these productions, the, the, the Stranger series and, um, Airzone Solution. I know how difficult it is to make something that is, um, professional and commercial and to actually have the kind of polish that people have got used to. So even winding the clock back 25 years, um, you can look at something like Edge of Darkness and, and see, you know, perhaps one of the best dramas that the BBC have ever, ever produced. And that's obviously a high benchmark mm. to, to reach. And as a, as a filmmaker doing a very short version of Doctor Who, my benchmark is everything that's been produced in the last few years, which is, in, you know, the, the bar is incredibly high in terms of production value, acting, scripts, cinematography, everything. So, um, people have got used to a, to a very high level, um, but even back then they were used to a high level of drama. So I, you know, there's part of me that really feels for um, uh, for for Bill Bags and and the, um, the the people making that 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 project. I think it works on a lot of levels. It is actually quite watchable. Um, <clears throat> there are, you know the things that kind of let it down are quite small things in terms of just maybe polishing the script, changing the structure a bit, as we've said about Colin Baker, having more to do to be more of an active uh, character rather than the passive one, which is what he is most of the time in this, in this drama. But I was, I was encouraged by people like Nicola Bryant, who I think in a, in perhaps in a parallel universe 
went on to do you know some really interesting acting work but just never quite got the chance maybe got a little bit um pigeonholed by what they were best known for mm. so i would i would give it i know we don't do halves and stuff but i would give it a high a high seven um because there is ambition there and they don't quite they almost get they it. don't quite pull it off but it's it's an honorable effort you know and i guess also at this time at this time edge of darkness wouldn't have been released on on certain on dvd i don't know possibly not so video. it would have been so perhaps a bit dim in people's minds so yeah was that video release and that there well, may, this is there 93, may have been so probably on video yeah. i think it possibly. probably was but i certainly wouldn't like to swear to it no. so it, yeah it might have been a little bit kind of dim and distant perhaps yeah. in people's yeah. minds edge of darkness so, but i'm sure it was foremost in the oh, yeah, sure. when they yeah. were making yeah. it i mean and and very topical still <clears> incredibly <throat> topical now obviously to do with um pollution environment i think the yeah. kyoto treaty being signed a few mm. years and earlier mm. uh, and so, the Santarin stratagem is basically I mean, it's pretty much the same thing. It's it's treading that same yeah. territory, yeah. definitely. So yeah. so so very relevant, more relevant now, perhaps than it was even then. And um, yeah, real honourable effort. Certainly, you could see the development from mm. the stranger to um, Air Zone Solution, and you wonder what would have happened if they had a bit more money and, and actually yeah. kind of went on to do something else. If they else. were given a series on TV, how would it have looked? Mm. You know, yeah. Yeah. Well, it certainly couldn't have been any worse than some of the things that turned up on telly at that time. Yeah. Well, with with Nick Briggs involvement, basically what you're talking about is Big Finish. I mean, it's not on that's telly, it's big, not big, video, big but Finish that, TV. that sort of story, that's kind of mm. kind of series of stories mm. is probably where it was heading. Yeah, and and now and now, obviously, if if you decided to do it as a short series, it wouldn't be on TV or DVD. Mm. It'd be a web series. Yeah, mm. uh, and probably. Be very successful in that sort of home home environment. I think you'd get a lot of obviously the Doctor Who fans, science fiction fans, lapping up something like that. So if you did Air's Own Solution over a longer period, so rather than cutting it down as you were saying that, mm. actually spreading it out yeah. over maybe ten episodes, um, but but really honing what's in each episode. Work. Maybe each episode's yeah. ten minutes maybe long. Maybe sell it to America, get John Barrowman in it. But it would work. Save really? people on a plane with uh, a load of chemicals in it. <laughs> but it would work really well as a web series because That'd you be can make it a multimedia event. Then. Yeah. Because it's that kind of conspiracy narrative. You could have websites with it and you could have sort of multiple storylines mm. that you follow. So it's almost, yeah, well, it's well, almost well, got that. Well, web series is where this would be. If if they were doing the Ozone Solution now, mm. I, you know, they would do it as a web series, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure. And they would possibly spread it out over a longer period of time. Yeah. So they could develop those things like they had mm. the chance to do in uh, Edge of Darkness, where you had, yeah. Yeah. you know, six one-hour episodes or whatever it was. Yeah, there's a lot of characters involved as well. Mm. Right. Well, this is where it starts to get interesting, <laughs> <coughs> and also where our uh, knowledge starts to run out. <laughs> Completely. Right, let's go through the... We uh, <coughs> It's close to midnight. Uh, I thought it'd be intuition. <coughs> we have got a lot of things still to talk about, and because we watched the Air Zone Solution and buggered about a lot. We're going to probe next, aren't we? <laughs> yes, the very next thing that happens is in January 1994, Probe. Mm. Probe. Now, this is 
probably where it starts to get interesting because whereas with the stranger what they were doing were finding their feet as they were doing it with probe which is written by mark gators well unless i'm mistaken i've not seen the probe films but you have lee right yeah and to me with the probe films they go in pretty much knowing what they're doing yes they've got a team of people who are probe whatever that stands for can't remember and uh, it's the normal research Something something. Oh, you were so Bureau good. of something. No, no, no. It's only Paranormal Research Bureau. The O and the E are entirely yes. Is it extraneous? Where does the O come from? Paranormal Research Bureau. <coughs> it's it's Paranormal Research Bureau. Jaws <laughs> <laughs> having some sort of seizure. <laughs> <laughs> we should really have some John's evidence on standby for these things, just in case JR does. Uh, I will go with that. that it that was. was, that was, that was well, let's, let's assume. Oh, it really was. Let's no, that's assume true. That's the case, and then we can actually okay. move on. Did but they, did they do that in the tone meeting? That's how it came out. Um, the no, tone was, meeting was the scene that they filmed with Colin Baker and Nicola Bryant, and that's where they got the name Probe from. <laughs> it was basically the English. Uh, answer to the X Files is what mm-hmm. they said on the on the packet. Um, yeah. It wasn't, but, but what it was was a really interesting little experiment in a bit of what was it? it was, you know, Doctor Who people going into some kind of paranormal series on a budget. And what like happens here is that Caroline John is playing Liz Shaw, and this is supposed oh, to be yes. what happens after she leaves she unit. Is. Yeah, yeah, I've forgotten it entirely. About and that character is known by that name, is it? Yeah, yeah. We ought to explain then, for anybody who doesn't realise, that when somebody writes, or in the old series, when somebody wrote a story for Doctor Who, what happened was all the characters that already existed within the series Mm -hmm. were copyrighted to the BBC, and all the characters that the author wrote would be copyrighted to the author. So So someone must have talked to Robert Holmes as... Derek Sherwin. Derek Sherwin. Derek okay. Sherwin owned the rights to the character of Liz Shaw, and so uh, the uh, Bill Bags, I guess, at BBV. But Derek Sherwin would own the rights to Unit, but surely Liz Shaw is Robert Holmes because he wrote Spearhead and Space. Oh yeah, no, but Derek Sherwin. Yeah, well, this is okay. So, so when I say I'm, the no, guy just, who wrote the yes, story, I'm just looking at because we've got. I'm simplifying. We've got uh, things like um, Sontarans <laughs> and Liz Shaw and. Right, Matt, back up. And, and all back up, Matt, no, Matt. I'm just going. I'm just thinking. There's a big Bob Robert Holmes thing going on here. No, it's not necessarily the guy who wrote the story in which they first appeared. It's right. the guy who created the character. Okay. I was simplifying. Okay. So Derek Sherwin created the character of Liz Shaw for Robert Holmes to write, okay. much as Russell T Davis created the character of Captain Jack, which Stephen Moffat first wrote. Right. Okay. So. Derek Sherwin owned the rights to the character of Liz Shaw. Bill Baggs presumably talked to Derek Sherwin. I think Derek Sherwin actually introduced Probe, not on the video, but I think he wrote something about it by way of an introduction to it for Doctor Who fans or something. I know Derek Sherwin was definitely involved in launching the first VHS in some way. That's a fact. It's now. Have we just done a fact? It's a fact bomb. I think so. I might be misremembering this, but I'm pretty sure he was. No, no, no. He (laughs) was. That's more up to form. No, Derek (laughs) Sherwin was definitely involved somewhere along the line. Yeah. Did you ever see these then? No, I've never seen any of Pro, which is why. Matt, I did. did Yes. I like them. I thought um, they were. 
there were, I mean, they're clearly early sort of Mark Gatiss pieces, but mm. and the Blue Box isn't a massive fan of Mark Gatiss's. No, that's not. No, 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 I don't think so. I think, okay. but I think. I mean, you can see, you can like... see, you can see that there's a strong, there is a strong writer behind them. I think there's definitely a good tone to them, and there's definitely a good, there's a good sort of. I mean, they get progressively more horrific, which is which mm. is fun. Yes, they do. Um, so there's an atmosphere mm. to them, and I like Liz Shaw. So, um, so Caroline John is a really good actor, mm. and so what, she, she sort of she sort of expands her role. So they give her different sides yeah. in her pipe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, well, so I didn't there's like a big that. Le- well, there's a sort of a big lesbian subtext going on because she's got. Even there were husbands in one of them. (laughs) Well, yes, but she's got an assistant played by Louise Jameson as well. So I think there's a sort of a, there's a kind of a a suggestive thing going on. So it's it's a scenario that they are investigating paranormal or alien Kind of a mix of the two, really. I'm just trying to think. Unnatural selection is more of a an air zone solution <clears throat> type thing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, experimentation, ghosts of Winterbourne. So I've seen, I've seen the Zero um, Imperative and I've seen the ghosts of Winterbourne, I think. Um, and it is like the X-Files, but it's a very British version. So if the X-Files was filmed in Britain, it wouldn't be Area, Area 51, no. Aliens or Forest Devils. It would be ghosts and churches okay. and Satanism in, yeah. the, in the things and abandoned abandoned um mental silence so it's this kind of it's that kind of texture so more of a supernatural edge rather than an alien yeah which i'm conspiracy okay kind of i'm finding it difficult to remember exactly now but they they did echo a very similar problem in the fact that they were similar to the stranger i think and air zone solution whereby you've got this you know they it, it could be if they had the budget. It could be late 80s, Doctor Who still, even <clears> when you're looking at 1995, 96. Mm. Well, these ran. It doesn't move on. Yeah, these ran for. Well, there were four of these. Actually, there, there was a fifth. There is a fifth one that is either due out now or has just recently come out with um, Caroline John's character recast with somebody else. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but basically, yeah, there were four of these over a period of about mm. three or four years. And you've got actors like Reese Shearsmith playing an early part um, in The Ghost of Winterbourne. And actually, Mark Gatiss turns up as a simpleton, I think. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the garden. <laughs> and, and, what, and what's the quality like? I mean, in terms of production value, has it moved on no. from... Well, from what I remember... It's still pretty low. I think, it, I think that... I think the acting was better than... than um, the yeah, Air Solution. I think the sound quality was the thing I had problems with. Oh, yeah. The dialogue That's recording right. sounded really distant. It's like they didn't have a proper, yeah. a proper boom mic or something or like that. Or maybe radio, radio mics, yeah. which they should have used, perhaps, right. some yeah. things. That, that took me out of it, I think. That made it yeah. sound Cheap. less like a professional production, mm. I think. So there's no ADRing then? No. Mm. They no. haven't got time to bring the actors back, or oh, money to bring them back, probably, to I ADR. Think, uh, isn't... Um, Nick Briggs in one of these again. I can't remember which one it is, but he, I think he's he's coming and being some kind of maybe a journalist or something. I don't know. I remember him bursting into a scene and bursting out again and thinking <laughs> that was really poor. That wasn't very mm. really good. Mm, I didn't enjoy yeah. that at all. But actually, the rest of it, yeah, no, I think the quality is as mm. good as what we've seen before. Yeah, from my memory, I think the writing was good. I think the directing, was... the stories were better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's a Mark Gatiss <clears> thing. I think that's. Because at this point he'd already done some new adventures as well. 
Um, and he was clearly, I mean, he'd clearly done the sort of stage work as well, I think, with Reese Shearsmith. So yeah. he was just on the cusp of becoming a professional. A professional, yeah. yeah. And I think this was probably a stepping stone yeah. for him. I doubt he'd like to be remembered for, for any of them. Is this where does this fit in with League of Gentlemen? Is this prior to this is prior to right? Okay. League of Gentlemen started nineties. Yeah, late nineties, wasn't it? It started on radio. So mm. and I well, it started in stage as well. Stage before. and then it was so, radio so and then this it was might TV. Have been concurrent it? with the stage and then okay. Yeah, well, it started on TV in ninety nine, if I recall. Yeah. So it would have probably been on the radio in 98 and probably was on the stage in about 96 or 97. Mm -hmm. And again, League of Gentlemen, similar sort of preoccupations of, you know, mental asylums and... Villages. Yeah, yeah. villages and yeah. weird characters. Mm. Picking and, up on all that folk horror stuff that, that Dot Who did. Which I'm a sucker for. Well, that's yeah, going yeah, to something yeah. that I was going to bring up, because if you go right back to the very first ones, Wartime and Summoned by Shadows... <clears throat> The theme that seems threaded throughout all this lot is that although the stories don't necessarily follow what you might expect to see in Doctor Who, the one thing that they do do is try and evoke the same sense of location yeah. as mm. you'd get in stories like the demons and yeah. the android yeah, invasion yeah. and that sort of thing. Apart from the terror game to the eye of the beholder, which seems something completely different. Sorry? That doesn't seem Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although that follows on slightly from survival, I yeah. guess, possibly. I feel like I've always got a memory of a lot of these things. They seem to take place on university campuses as well. I think a university <laughs> campus is an ideal place for Well, that's where we're going next. Things. Yeah, exactly. But I, I, I seem to remember <laughs> that maybe Probe. It's sort of a lunatic asylum that looks suspiciously like somewhere like Warwick University or, or something like that. Probably shot during the summer when yeah, all the students yeah. are away. Which yeah. is perfect. I mean, yeah. they are perfect locations mm. because they're entirely empty, apart from poor administrators who have to deal with the conferences. And... Or, and that's, well, it's bizarre university. It's filled with foreign students who come for summer schools. Yes, mm. very true. So here's what happens next. Concurrently with BBV doing probe, and by this time, BBV have got something like eight or nine dramas under their belts, beginning in 1991. And at this point, we're still only in sort of mid-90s. Real Time, who did Wartime back in 98, uh, back in 88, and since then have been concentrating almost completely on the Mythmakers, Real Time suddenly come back into the game and... I don't know whether it was inspired by what had happened on Probe and whether they'd said, oh, hang on, that's a really interesting way to go about it. We can do that ourselves. But all of a sudden, downtime comes along. And what they've done here <clears throat> is not just say, right, can we get the license for a character from Doctor Who? They've basically said, what can't we get the license for? And so downtime is directed by Christopher Barry. TV director who'd retired, but who had a long and fairly distinguished Doctor Who career. So they'd drag him out of retirement to direct it. Written by Mark Platt, who'd written Ghostlight, and who was working on some of the new adventures and such. Mm. So Mark Platt was... Well, Mark Platt was essentially, if Doctor Who had never gone off the telly, he was essentially going to be the one-story-a-year guy writing for the telly. So here he is, basically with downtime, writing a story that he would have written for Doctor Who on the mm -hmm. telly, to all yeah. intents and purposes. And the characters they've got, they have Nicholas Courtney as the Brigadier, Elizabeth Sladen as Sarah Jane Smith, 
and Deborah Watling and her dad Jack Watling into a prize, Victoria Waterfield and Professor Travers. Mm-hmm. It's a sequel to um, the two Yeti stories from the 1960s from Mervyn Hazeman and Henry Lingen, which features the great intelligence and the Yeti on a university campus in the summertime in England. <laughs> yeah. mm. It is probably, out of everything we're talking about here, with one exception, which I'm going to come back to at the end, and I don't think anybody has seen it, so I don't know if we can confirm or... I think I've seen, I think I've seen <coughs> at least half of it. Mm. I think I've got it. What are we talking about? Downtime. Downtime. Yeah, I thought we'd jump forward a bit. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've seen it as well, yeah. yeah. I've, I've okay, it. yeah. Go uh, on then. I'm about to get it off Love Film <laughs> to okay. watch it, so it'd be interesting to um, you know come back and talk about it in a few weeks' time. I remember it being... It was the old man and money, yeah. Wasn't it? It was, it was singing. Oh, money. <laughs> Don't <bomb>. start that. <laughs> <laughs> that stuck in my head for years after that. Um, I and don't we'll remember do again, it having then. a particularly good story. I don't remember it utilising the brilliant characters we were so used to very well. And I don't remember it being that good. So I don't know. You know, maybe in a few weeks I'll watch it and go, oh, I'm completely wrong. It was excellent. But maybe. Anybody else see it? You've I remember. It, I remember quite liking what I saw, and I think it was out of all of them. I think it was the most ambitious. I mean, it was the, sort the of most peak of ambition. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, it was the one that was sort of lauded as being the closest to Doctor Who oh. we're ever going to get again. The closest oh, yeah. to a Doctor Who movie we're ever going to have. Oh. And it didn't, I think it was slightly oversold. Whereas if they'd sold it as a sort of a good, <clears throat> honest amateur production. Then, then they do. They'll never sell it as an amateur production. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think it was just a bit over-marketed. But I thought it was, I thought it was okay. okay. I mean, Elizabeth Sladen's really good, right. and she really gives everything to everything she does. She's, she's what isn't she good in? Basically, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know. And also, actually, the funny thing about downtime is, it introduces a character called Kate Lethbridge-Stewart, mm-hmm. who has yeah. subsequently turned up on the telly. Callum. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, which basically, well, I mean, it depends how your head works around these things, but basically puts downtime down as part of the canon of mm. what is... Which it fits neatly. I mean, it's not it's not an uncomfortable fit. No. Well, it's got all these characters doing the mm. things that they would have done if the television series had carried on to this point mm. and found a way to drag them back in yeah. in a story, basically, I suppose. A bit like a Sarah Jane adventure, isn't it, I suppose? Ah, yeah. In a way. Mm. Yeah. And also, Mike Platt gives each character something different to do. I'm thinking yeah. of Deborah Watling. It becomes this sort of strict, I can't remember what her role is, but she's a sort of a, a CEO of a company or something like that. Mm. Which is unlikely, and I'm not sure Deborah Watling entirely pulls it off. No, that's mm. yeah, I do remember <clears> being quite weak. That's... But but at least at least if you're going to have Victoria back in the story, you can't have 1960s Victoria in the story. No, she needs to have moved on. Yeah, from yeah. what she was then. Yeah, her role strikes me as what I'd understood to be the plans for Ace in the Sarah Jane Adventures. If the Sarah Jane Adventures had carried on, they were going to bring Ace back. Right, and. From what I've heard, it's a sort of similar thing of a kind of a businesswoman, but a kind of a, a kind of a dry, running an ecological NCO or something like that. Airzone. NGO. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. The mastermind behind Airzone. 
Before we move on from downtime, very briefly, it's worth mentioning that in 2004, written by David J. Howe, but directed by Keith Barnfather, the usual real-time guy, you've got something called Demos Rising, which is where Kate Lethbridge-Stewart goes back... Well, it's basically a sequel to The Demons. I'd love to watch that. I'd really like to see that. I've got well, a soft spot for The Demons. <clears throat> Well, we have to get in touch with Barnfather after this and ask him to send us copies of these things so we can review them for the well, podcast. At least I'm not sure if I'd like to. I like the, I like the sound of it and I like the title. And yes, I like that's the a good start. So, <clears throat> so if anybody's going to be the ideal target audience for it, it would be me. Is it well, the demons or is it the demons? It's the demons. Oh, dear. Potato, potato. How did you say that? Well, Demon Well, Pertwee says it differently throughout the story. I think He says demons yeah. or demons and the planet Demos. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't sure. Yeah, just say demons. Yeah. Demons. Did I say Demos Rising or Demos Rising? I don't know anymore. It's Demons. <laughs> it's Demos Rising. Is it? Yeah. Why did you say that? It's close because to it's, a, it's an ash. Demons. Which is an A rather than an A. That's how you pronounce that letter. It's an Anglo Saxon letter. Okay. Is it like medieval? So it should it's be. Like, the... It's like old medieval. <laughs> so okay, we'll we'll get an email about this in the next podcast. So. From Matt. <laughs> it would be. It would yeah. be for me. Yeah. <laughs> the reason I'm emailing is how to say Damon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, gone well, yes. <laughs> it's gone 12 it's gone 12 we're in the witching hour speaking of the witching hour <laughs> if you're interested in the demons or the demons <laughs> um, again this is a new one um, David J. Howe's involved um, they have Damaris Heyman back as Oliver, oh, Olive Hawthorne wow. they're still alive Damaris Heyman she Ooh. is what it is is um, I think it's five or six short stories which oh. she narrates direct to camera that appeals Each to, one written by a different person. That appeals to me less mm. than yeah. Demos Rising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think maybe as an audio adventure. It's the Alan Burnett I of, think, uh, yes, yeah. of, of folk horror. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's basically a case of what can we do. Yeah. I mean, it's still, it shows that the, the demons, the demons, still has some, uh, some sort of weight in fandom, mm. even though it's, it's disliked by the Canadians. Right, let's rewind a bit because the only other thing that real time are you speaking for the entire nation. The Canadians really, the Canadians and the Americans really don't seem to like from the podcast I've listened to. They really don't seem to like the Damons, and I don't understand. I think it's just because just that particular episode. I think it's just because they don't have that connection with the landscape and the village. I think that that sort of folk horror is a very British. I wonder if any Americans listen. I don't be able to. I don't blame them. Look what they did with the Wicker Man. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, that was a few people, though, wasn't it? The whole nation, was it? I mean, I can understand <laughs> it. it. I, find it I think it's interesting that they don't, they don't, really don't like him. There was that, those series of podcasts where they ranked, there was that podcast where they ranked all the stories mm. in a kind of playoff se- session. Did you mm. hear that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, de- the demons, demons. The demons, the, that's the, what the it is. Demons. You say demons, didn't and I out, say demons. Didn't come out of it at all. Well, that was another shouting at the podcast moment for me. I was, I was sat on the loo shouting at the podcast. Loo? Oh, yeah, with an iPad, I carry you guys to the loo. No. Did you not know that? Information. I put it next to the shower, I have a shower with the podcast on. This is quite normal for me. I cook with the podcast. 
I carry it. It was comfort for me. It was like company. I had a small flat. During the long, sad years before I was on the podcast. I carried, I carried you guys around with me in the podcast. In the, in Matt's my like Yoko Ann. You've, you've stalked her <laughs> now on the show. Oh, yeah? yeah. You've given your true colours away. This is a bit no. worrying. I'm looking at you, Jay, for support. More I used to bump into him. I used to bump into him in the street. An absolute shambles of a man had the only thing that he was clinging to were the two little buds in his ears. No. And I used to have to. No. Let's get and I right, used to have to walk him home and take him up no, the garden. I bumped, <laughs> excuse me. I bumped, into, I bumped into you delivering letters to my flat. You'd unplugged your podcast. I'd unplugged me listening to you on the podcast. You tell me about what you were listening to on the podcast, and I'd argue with you about something you talked about about a year before. And somehow mm. we got a conversation out of it. And, and some, I didn't some... learn my lesson, and I invited you to come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I've been regretting it ever since. Don't, don't blame me. But I'll oh, teach you. But I only told that story so I could do the taking you up the garden path joke. Oh. <laughs> Again. <laughs> That's sad, I just it? wanted to make sure it sunk in. Ooh. <laughs> anyway. Oh, back, back to probe. Real time. <laughs> <laughs> real time. The only okay. other thing of note that real time did in terms of fiction was in 1998 and 1999. They did two stories. Uh, well, originally it was a one-off called Mind Game, which Terence Dix wrote. Mm. Although Keith Barnfather directed it, Mind Game was three aliens on a spaceship <clears throat> who sort of wake up and discover they're the only three people there. And it's like, do they fight each other to the death or do they get together to find some way of escaping this situation they found themselves in? Sophie Aldred plays one of the aliens. The other two aliens are a draconian and a Sontar, and if I remember yeah, rightly. Yeah. And at the end of Mind Game, they get off the ship, and the following year, they all got back together, and three different writers each wrote a standalone segment showing what happens to that alien once it's mm. off the ship. So Mind Game Trilogy, the sequel, is actually three short films. Mm -hmm. These both really appealed to I haven't seen them. Mm. They both appealed to me. Cause once again, the... Barnfather, send us review copies. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, I like it. I like the idea that it's, you know, they know they're low budget. They know we can do something in a room. We can do Cube, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's a, a great idea for a low-budget film. And I, it just appeals to me. I like the idea of it. I've seen, but now you've told me to get off. So. I've seen clips. I've seen clips of them. And they don't. They appeal less to me, having seen clips of them. Uh, well, I think Sophie Aldred is playing against type. Okay. In them. I think she's playing a sort of spoilt, spoilt, upper-class, right. sort of cocktail-drinking from memory this is all mm. from just seeing a clip and I wasn't quite accent. convinced maybe if I saw the whole glorious production <laughs> I'd well, yeah. yeah. into it <clears throat> maybe that's what we well, I often yeah. find with trailers if I listen to a trailer for something for Big Finish mm. I'll listen to because when you take the quotes out of context yeah. you don't get any idea of the emotional heft behind mm. the yeah. way it's been yeah. phrased and mm. the way it's been put mm. so I'll listen to a trailer for something from Big Finish or whatever and think oh god that sounds bloody awful yeah. but then if I listen to the actual play and hear everything in context it, yeah. it completely makes sense yeah. 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 and I guess you're going to get that more with amateur films than you are with professional TV productions where they've got the budget and the time and the resources to put the trailer together more carefully mm. so that you can balance things like 
um, the emotional through line even of a 30 second trailer and balance the music on it to make sure that the music rises and falls at the right moment so that you're not getting things that leap out at you. Mm. Yeah. You know, without um, warding, as it were. Can I just say one thing about the downtime? Why is it called downtime? Because real time had made war time, so now they needed something else time. Well, the time, because well, I know, yeah, it was to do with ducks. So there was a duck pond somewhere, <laughs> and they wanted to do a story about ducks. But duck what down. they happened when they down. got there was they found the ducks down. weren't yeah, there; yeah. they'd gone off on holiday yeah, yeah, for a bit yeah. of downtime. So, so, so they so called it downtime. So it was Ida downtime. It could have been lunch time. There weren't any ducks, so they just <laughs> chopped the Ida down off. You could you could get it, and it could be just two hours of chill out music, couldn't it? it could, you know, it could, uh, couldn't be much worse. <laughs> do you know that? Um, D.H. Lawrence was originally going to write a book about ducks called Sons and Plovers. Oh. No, I didn't know I'm that. I'm going back to the duck jokes from a couple of weeks you, ago. You weren't here for the duck jokes. Do you listen to oh, the Oh, did podcast? you miss the duck I jokes? No, he doesn't. No, I'd, I'd advise all listeners to stop listening from now on. <laughs> if it's going to be anything like tonight. <laughs> we had a thing where we decided we were going to do... Oh, we decided that we were... Because... I don't know if you're aware of this, actually, Lee, but in Probably series not. five, mm -hmm. in the 11th hour, there's this scene where they go to a duck pond and there's yes. no ducks. And the doctor says, mm -hmm. where's the ducks? Why is it called a duck yeah. pond if there's no ducks? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of a joke. And the people watching it thought it was going to pay off mm -hmm. as part of the arc. No, no, but actually, it, it wasn't meant to pay off as part of the arc. They were supposed to go back at the end of the series for a scene where the ducks have come back. And the doctor says, oh, the ducks have come back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they ran out of budget and they couldn't afford to go back to the village and take a load of ducks with them and film the scene. So in the end, it's a, a build-up to a joke that never gets paid off. So we decided we were going to do a charity book where we were going to get 15 authors each to write a story about what the ducks on this duck pan, pond were doing when they weren't on the duck pond. <laughs> seasons of, of Mallard. But nobody... <laughs> so I said... Well, Mallard's <clears throat> Well, it's, it's my yeah. next project. Well, I said that there was gonna, there would have to be a yeah, story be a in there called yes. "The Last of the Time Allards." Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we were trying to come up with duck names for yeah, stories. It's, just, it's surprisingly difficult. Yeah. Difficult. Well, there's only about three or four that but, you can but actually thank use. Thank goodness, no. JR's now do, now explained. It. Duck, well, instead of the quarks, you'd have the quacks, I suppose. That's oh yeah, the quacks. The Ida sanction. The I yeah yeah. Well, God. It doesn't have to be Doctor Who related oh, as the, the title. Um, the Web Feet of Fear. Oh, that's good. That's, that's probably yeah. the best. That's yeah. the strongest. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, I made it. Do you think that's better than The Last of the Time, my lads? Well, I, <laughs> I, I, I think it's now. <laughs> that's pretty awful. I think this is a new competition for the listeners, actually. Send us yeah. duck-related yeah. titles <laughs> to use in our storybook. <clears throat> and I'll uh, make a film of the best one. Don't oh, maybe. You know, you know <laughs> that's a promise. Yeah, this is a verbal contract. <laughs> It'll be like finger bobs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But if I don't like any of them, I won't do it. <laughs> We're gonna, that's the small print. You, always, you give us and you take it away. Always listen to the small print on a podcast. It's going to be a, it's going to be an animated movie made with plush ducks bought from Toys R Us. And that's our budget. But we are going to talk to Toys R Us beforehand and see if we can't get them at cost. Well, we've advertised them now. Yeah, Toys R Us. And Sainsbury's. 
There's a toy dog. There's a toy duck race that happens at Drew Stainton. Yeah, and, that's that's and something. In my village. For, that's something for the international mm. listeners. And in my village. Oh really? Every okay. year. Yeah. Oh. Duck race. Duck race. Was that a toy duck race or a real duck Devin. race? Actually, actually, are we toy sure? Ducks. Are we sure that the missing ducks aren't you know one of these kind of you know classic Steve Moffat long game arcs where he Could will be. come back? So are you saying that if we do write Mallards of War? Stephen Moffat might nix it because he's he's planning on going into that. He'll, area he'll, he'll just, the he'll last, just, he'll the just, last Capaldi season is going to be I, I think, duck I think, related. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I think the last episode of Capaldi's tenure, no, and and, and obviously Moffat's tenure because I'm sure they'll live together, um, will be set around that duck As pond. As Ch Chibnall sits down yeah. with Peter Moffat, uh, Peter, Peter Capaldi and says. But Peter, we're going into duck territory. Yeah. Please stay. And yeah. Peter, oh yes, in that case, if you're going to explain the ducks, no, yeah. I'm with it. Yeah, I'm we with need you to resolve that arc. But it has to be a four-season arc. <laughs> no, a four it'll be like arc. when Russell T. Davis said to David Tennant at the end of the specials, and he said, "We're doing your two-part final story. What's the thing you'd most like to see in your two-part final story?" And David Tennant said, "The Return of the Master." Stephen Moffat says to Peter Capaldi. Right, we're dumping you because <laughs> Chris Chibnall's casting a woman. You've got a Christmas <laughs> special to bow out on. Yeah. What would you like to see in your Christmas special? And obviously, Peter Capaldi say, says, find out what happens to the ducks. No, he'll, he'll yes. say, I want my electric guitar. And then Stephen Moffat will go, you're getting ducks. Yeah. <laughs> He's had his electric you're guitar. Ducks. Or we're regenerating you, from you can, hour, like Colin Baker. You can choose between Mondasian Cybermen and ducks. All you'll get, all you'll get is Tim Roth rolling over in a Peter Capaldi wig with special effects on his Speaking face. of the Cybermen from Mondas, do you know what struck me the other day? That takes place on an alternative Earth, right? Where these humans turn themselves into these robot things mm. with these great big lamps on top of their head? Yeah. Does that take place on an alternative planet Earth where the Dalek invasion of Earth was successful, but the Daleks died out and just left the Robo-Men? Ooh. Is it? There was Ooh, a comic strip. Because they, they do look remarkably similar when you do. think about there it. Yes. There was a comic strip that featured Jamie as an old man and had the Vord, either the Vord oh, yeah, evolving yeah. into the Cybermen or the other way around. That was very... I like those Cybermen. I like spare parts. Talking about Mark Platt. Yeah, mm. spare parts is on the really good. Ever. I listened to that recently, and it's gripped me. It's a cracker. I it think the last, really the last few, you know, the idea of, of, mm. of combating the alien at the end and winning yeah. the way they did was a bit old. Tidy. It's a bit overly tidy. Everything up to that point was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay, let's get back You've to. Been very quiet. But we can I, talk. We can I talk think that I've started ducks. to fall asleep inside my head. <laughs> <laughs> God, when, when did you start to fall asleep inside your head? Was about it the beginning of the podcast? <laughs> we've, not got, we've not got a lot else to no, do. No, I no. don't think many of us have seen any of this. I've seen the next three, which is the Auton trilogy. Yes. Which was 1997. Anybody else seen Auton? Yes. Oh, you've seen no, Auton? Yes. seen everything. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a Doctor Who fan, man. He's <laughs> I am spent so much money. I can afford these. <laughs> I, was too, I suppose I was too young. It's uh, a different the, generation. You know, I, I definitely bought the Autons, yeah, for, for sure. Ain't no who like a not Doctor Who. <laughs> Again, Autumn was set in a warehouse, wasn't it? It was a one-scene one kind of... Autumn was supposed to have um, 
Nick Courtney in as the Brigadier, but That's he was right. too ill or got another job and couldn't take part, so they had to recast that and rename the guy. So actually, mm. other than the Autons themselves, the Doctor Who connection's taken out. It's a good, it's a good Doctor <laughs> Who tradition for Nick Courtney not to be able to do something, and they just introduce a Nick Courtney-ish character and rename <laughs> yes. him. Well, Mo- Michael Wade is in it, isn't he? Yeah. Playing Lockwood. Lockwood, yeah. Good name, I thought. And great in the first episode, and then gets all a bit bonkers in the last two. Well, he's taken over and a little bit possessed and stuff. Yeah, it kind of goes. Well, the first one takes place in the warehouse, and then the second one they break out into the village, and then the third one takes place a bit further afield. Is that right? Southampton High Street. (laughs) Southampton High Street. Mm. Does it? Mm. God, I can't remember. You know, I have them. That sounds quite good. Are they, all, they all linked then? Right. They, they, they feed they're into okay. each other. You make it sound like yeah. it could work, anyway. It yeah. basically does. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're still cheap. Yeah. Because yeah. they're still these sort of semi-amateur films that mm. we're talking about. Mm. But I said, the trouble with Auton is... This is earnesty. Yeah. Oh. It, everybody's taking it very seriously. There's not an awful lot of humour in it. I think, I think that's what's lacking from a lot of these productions. Mm. They're too frightened to put humour in, in yeah. case people take the piss. So yeah, yeah. they come across as being, particularly Air Zone Solution, really earnest, really serious. Mm. And in the end, you need something <laughs> undercutting. You need some sort of jokes. And when they do do jokey ones... It goes down a complete fast yes. route. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're going to get yeah. to which, one which, of those yeah, in a minute. Yeah, which just shows you how <laughs> difficult it is to pull off Doctor Who, that balance between, you know, comedy, yeah. broad comedy one yeah, minute and then yeah. deadly seriousness the next. Yeah. I, it, it's something that is almost unique in mm. television, and I think just very difficult to pull off. Well, we've, think, seen, we've seen Nicola Bryant try to pull off Doctor Who. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> solution. <laughs> I've, anyway, uh, she has real problems with it. The three autons. I think if you were to edit them down, you could make one really quite cracking kind of one-hour story. Matt, you're a nightmare. You're a nightmare. Matt, you're going I'm sorry, down. I'm laughing. At my, I'm laughing. Joke. I waited. Um, anyway, no, no, I do. I, I like. You know, I thought they were great, but they were trying too hard and. It, that like you say, they haven't got the production to to pull it off, and they haven't got um you know the Nicholas Briggs wrote it. I mean, it's just, mm. it's not badly written. Mm. It just it fells in. It's the, just a bit earnest. Yeah, and also the filming mm. and the lighting and all these sort of things. Yeah, they just. I mean, that's something that's not like, quite there. Yeah, I, I feel for Nicholas Briggs because I know what he's trying to achieve here, and just hasn't got, resor- has <coughs> got the resource to resources, do it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, the first one, the one in the factory, probably needed to be slightly cleverer than it was. Oh yeah, that was a bit of a runaround. Be- yeah, it's because it's, it's kind of a runaround in a factory. When really, if you don't have the resources to do a runaround in a factory and make it look as good as Alien, instead you need a clever idea in there, mm. uh, a twist of some kind, mm. so that rather than it just be here come the monsters, instead the monsters have to overcome something that you have to put in their way. And it has to be a clever twist how you put something in their way. And it has to be an even cleverer twist how they overcome that. And then they break out. And I don't think it quite pulled off that sort of thing. Mm. I mean, there was stuff like that in there. But I just... It's again, like you could have done with another You get given a, a Doctor Who monster, which is a classic. Mm. And, you know, you get really excited. And you write 
any, you can almost write anything because mm. everybody's going to go, it's got an alt on in it. Mm. <laughs> you know, you could have him in a song and dance routine. It's got an alt on in it. <laughs> and he's walking through the supermarket. It's got an alt on in it. Yeah, yeah. Autons are a perfect low budget monster. As Absolutely. Well. Mm. Really yeah. good. Which, which is yeah, one of the reasons the why they are so frightening because, well, you know, in the, in, <clears throat> in the first one, just seeing the shop window oh, dummies mm. moving, then smashing through a plate glass yeah. window, it's, it's really scary because it's, the, it's the mundane yeah. with the, you know, with the well, this is where yeah. it, where it doesn't work because the first one is just autons in a factory. Yeah, see that the that second one work. has a CG nesting consciousness on top of the church. Oh, yeah, mm. is that, that second or the third one? That's the second one. Yeah, it is yeah. the second one, isn't it? Oh, it was. Yeah. It looks You'll like this one, Matt. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it basically this story takes place. Does the church blow up? Because if the church doesn't blow up in the end, then I don't really want to. Like I think it. it might do. Oh. Yeah, I have a feeling it probably yeah. does. Just a, good, yes. a good church. Yeah, let's just say yes. Just say yes. It yeah. does, Matt. Yeah. Spoilers, <laughs> sweetie. It's better for space. I quite like the boiler-suited ones as well. <laughs> those, are the ones design, yeah. design. Design. those are the ones you've got. Yeah, those are the ones you've got. Yeah. The first one they were trying to do this. That that thing. Yeah, that aesthetic. That wasn't a sort of a. These, bad, but it was these really are a sequel to Spearhead from Space yeah. rather yeah. than a sequel to Spearhead and Terror of the Autons. Yeah. Yeah. They are basically a sequel to the mm. first story. Yeah. Mm. So the factory setting is basically going back to the doll factory from Spearhead yeah. from Space. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the third one, <clears> I, don't know, I think that was probably the weakest of the three. Yeah. Even though the effects, there were more effects. Mm. going on. I think they had a bit more of a budget and they could do scenes of people getting kind of fried in the street. Mm. Um, I don't know, I just didn't... I think by the time we got, I got to number three, I didn't... Uh, you know, Michael Wade's character was... So I didn't wear a bit care. thin. Yeah, mm. I wanted him to be a bit more... a bit stronger. Have a point. There are three more things, really, to talk about from BBV, very briefly, because I don't think any of us have seen any of these, I don't think. Cyber Run, I've got. <laughs> have you seen it? Yeah. Every, every, oh my god. Just own everything. Do you have Lungbarrow? Do you own Lungbarrow? Yes. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And Nine Days. Really? Yeah. Oh, I don't the last that. five of those I've got. I'm not going to tell you where I've hidden them though. No, no. Every, everybody <laughs> so, has to break into these houses. It's about three or four hundred quid's worth of books by now. Wow. They'd probably be better off breaking into mine. Okay. Okay, okay yeah, good plan. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm not going to say why. <laughs> Um, yeah, Cyberon then came out in 2000 and was written by Lance Parkin. Yeah. Now, mm. I like Lance Parkin, mm. yeah. and as a book, this would have been fine. As a as an episode of whatever it was supposed to be, it was abysmal. Do you know what the idea behind it was? Was that they couldn't get the Cybermen, no, and fine. so they decided to come up with an alternative that was close enough that Doctor Who fans would recognise it as being their version yeah. of the Cybermen, <laughs> but that was far enough away that they wouldn't get in trouble with the BBC. You didn't have the guts to call it Cyberish. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, that's what it is. Cyberon is a drug, anyway. So that's just the name oh. of a drug, yeah. I think, in it. Um, the... And you see these cyber. Cybermen type things are, are visions almost, aren't they? I've got, I can't. I'm starting to forget. Now. I've not seen it. So it's not. It's not a Cyberman. I don't okay. think. But anyway, I, I, I remember. That's as I recall. It, that I... nearly that killed killed it for me. I didn't bother with anything after that. Um, oh, no, it stopped. There isn't. Really <laughs> <anything after that. laughs> yeah, that was the basically the end of it. I, I just thought I... you've done all of this as like a decade of wilderness years videos mm. and films and you've done the air zone solution you've had probe you know do all this stuff and then suddenly cyberon comes out 
I'm thinking they haven't moved. It hasn't moved mm. anywhere forward. We've had the TV movie since then, and it's still looking exactly the same as it mm. did ten years before, but mm. not so good. Mm. I like the story. Just thoughts. Yeah. I think I've seen clips Probably of weakest. Do You Have a Licence to Save This Planet. Are you leaping ahead there, Matt? Thank you, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> but what souls are? Mm. Sorry, I don't really yeah. I've no idea. I couldn't find okay. out anything about that. So right. I wasn't going to talk about it and I wasn't going to bring it up so that the listeners would realise that I didn't know anything about it. So okay. thank you for that, Lee. <laughs> it's, it's written by somebody I've never heard of. Okay. Yes. Nick Harden. And apparently it's a co-production between BBV and Western Union, oh, which is a money transfer system, isn't mm. it? That's <laughs> okay. awesome. yeah. Maybe we'll look up Souls Ark next time. Or oh, it's sort of a 19th century American railroad, isn't it? <laughs> it's, great, it's, it's a great title, though, Souls Ark. It, yeah, yeah. it does oh, conjure yeah. up yeah. an interesting idea. Dangerous. Shall we just make something up? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Souls Ark is the <laughs> lost seventh Stranger film where at the end of the trilogy of stories set in EastEnders, they go back to the location of Summoned by Shadows, and Soul's Ark is what you call the Gaia-like thing that ties the beer garden together with the uh, post-apocalyptic earth. What are you laughing at? It's, uh, it's, where, it's where people's consciences, consciousnesses it's, it's, are kept. Yeah. It's actually Once where the died. ducks have gone to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when they die. <laughs> they're, tra they're, they're transported to a duck-like matrix, where yeah, which yeah. is what happens to to, to all ducks yeah. or, or webbed feet birds when when they perish. I mean, any successful story has to have a duck in there somewhere. Mm. So they, there you go. I, I think it's a space art owned by somebody called Soul. No. <laughs> well, that, well, that's killed that story dead. <laughs> 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 I think it's I think it's Ian Levine's collection of, of 1970s music. <laughs> Ian Levine was one of the producers of Downtime, if I remember oh, rightly. Or the yeah, he financed it. I think. I or think he, so, yeah. or something yeah. like that. And then the right. He financed it and probably had a small amount of creative input into it. I seem to recall that the reason it took so long to come out on DVD was because he vetoed the release of it. Oh. I could mm -hmm. be completely wrong. I'm. I probably am completely wrong because Ian Levine. You'd think he'd want it out there, wouldn't you? Well, unless he, unless he wanted to add things to it, and wasn't happy with the original version, and thought maybe it would be better with Sylvester McCoy in it. I mean, strange cutaway scenes. I'm oh, not sure. I don't know. Tommy in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you have a license to save this planet? Look terrible from the cover. The comedy that. one. Is that the one where Sylvester McCoy? And a washing machine. Yeah, <laughs> Sylvester McCoy doesn't play the doctor. He plays something called the foot doctor. Okay, you're yeah. kidding. No. <laughs> this is where it jumps to shark, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's the last one, essentially, yeah. from BBV, because the one after that gets... Yeah, well, is... the one after that's a story, which we'll come to in a minute. This but is, that is slipping off the other side of the shark, slowly into the water and drowning. <laughs> but that's basically the end of the line for BBV, and... Mm. Real time at this time, they've, uh, you know, their four wartime downtime and the two mind games are done, and they come back together just a couple yeah. of years on for 
Deimos rise. But also, this it? is the time when Big Finish had started. Yes. Yeah. So it's really taking off, <clears throat> and everybody's starting to recognise actually this is the future rather than. Well, Big and, Finish and, and doing regular... licensed Doctor Who with Doctor mm. Who actors playing yeah. Doctor Who. Yeah. You can't compete with that. No. no. Uh, and and regular New Who is on our TV screens, so the imperative. Well, it is eventually, but yeah, yeah not at this but point. But the imperative really does dissipate. I mean, you've got some. Uh, uh, a few films there that uh, sort of 2004 onwards mm. and you know once once yeah regular Doctor Who is, is back on our screens mm. the, the, the reason to do this kind of just evaporates <coughs> really. well, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll tighten it up so much that yeah. Oh, yeah, the, having Sylvester McCoy as the foot doctor yeah. might not have passed. The legal side, I mean, yeah. I think the BBC tightened up yeah. everything so yeah. if a writer come up with a character they would own they would own the rights from every which way, I guess. Yeah. So, the only other one, the only one that comes out after Doctor Who comes <laughs> back, only comes out as late as it does because it's been made for five years and sitting on a shelf. Right. Or right, two thousand three was it? Um, Zygon. Yeah. Apparently, both the writers took their names off it. Which yeah, Lance. Tells you something. What <laughs> tells Jonathan Blum and Lance Parkin? Yeah, Lance Parkin writes the original script. Right. But that doesn't get made. Jonathan Bloom rewrites it. Yeah. That doesn't get made. Somebody else, I don't know who it is, Somebody polishes it. finally writes a third script, which does get made, and the name changes from Zygon to Zygon when being you just isn't enough. But, and here's the point with Zygon. I mean, this is the grown-up one, because this is the one with naked sex. Wow. Do you not own this, Lee? I don't the, own the this. The one with naked sex in it, and you don't own it? <laughs> You've um, them down. <laughs> is yeah, it Mr. Joe Banks, Castleton, or is it somebody else? I think it's somebody I else. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Joe Castleton's mm. been in a few of these, and she's all right. She was in Cyberon. Okay. Yeah. I don't think it is her in Saigon. Actually, thinking about it, I can't be, remember. Be careful, because you might actually libel someone if it's really. No, I don't think it is though. But she, okay. but I think. Well, anyway, getting back to it, mm. the point with Saigon is they. This is them going through and seeing what they can get the rights to again. Mm. They get the rights to use the Zygons of Robert Banks Stewart. And so they decide to write a Zygon story. And this is why it gets stuck. Because having got the rights to the Zygons from Robert Banks Stewart, what they didn't realise is that they don't have the rights to the visual representation of the Zygons. So they've got to go back to the story and take out anything in there where the Zygon appears as itself. <laughs> so the Zygons in Zygon only appear in human disguises. Okay. Lee's uh, head's uh, just disappeared into his hand. Yeah. Make, makes it very cheap to make. <laughs> it's like well, the equivalent of an invisible spaceship. No, it takes could, the you, imperative out of doing could, the story. Well, yes, yeah. But you could do this. You could write it mm. if that was the point in the first place. Mm. But plainly it wasn't. It's, this is an afterthought. You've got to take the Zygons out. But I don't know quite what happened. But I mean, I'm just making instead. sense of a confusion. Yeah. Yeah. You could right. probably do a nice little short episode with um, Osgood or the Osgoods, mm. basically, knowing that one of the. The Osgood life. <laughs> the Os <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay, I mean. Um, you know, knowing that one of them is a Zygon, but we don't actually see them in that form, and that would be fine. Mm. But, but if you don't have stretch the, it very long. yeah, if you don't have the connection with the character, you're not hiding to nothing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they did uh, BBV did a whole load of audios as well, which we're not going to talk about now because there's so many. But one of those was uh, the Barnacle Baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A Zygon stuck in Victorian times. 
it's really good. I think it's great. I think right. it's a fantastic story. Um, but this just doesn't. What, what? I don't. I don't get it. I mean, when you write something so good on audio, why does it? It's, well, it sounds. Not it sounds like it's an amateur production, but not just an amateur production. An amateur production where things have gone wrong. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. you've got the double whammy, and it's just yeah. never going to work. Yeah. You've got the two. For an amateur production, it has to go right. <clears throat> I don't know yeah. what it is, but I've always had the idea in my head that what finally ended up being made was the notion that Catherine Schell's character in City of Death, you know, the famous thing about her character is, how could she have been living with this yeah. tentacly, one-eyed green monster for <laughs> all these know. years and not realise when they go to bed? And I think Zygon is, <laughs> this is the story of what happens when you go to bed with the monster every night. I think wow. that's basically the story. I could be completely wrong. I need to get it, really. You do, Lee, you do. <laughs> don't look confused, Matt. I'm no, a Doctor Who fan. I, it's no, a I thought you were going to say it explains your home life. <laughs> I thought you were self-effacing. I think <laughs> actually he's explaining his wife's home life. Yeah, that's what I meant. Ooh, oh, yeah, yeah. Where's his handbag? I'm not slurring Lee's wife. I'm slurring <laughs> Lee, just to be clear about this. Good. Yeah, right. Slur everyone else tonight. <laughs> Right, there is one that we have very much skipped past. Yeah. Because I wanted to come back to it. Because it is not either BBV or real time. But I think most people always classify it in their heads that way. Um, I'm not 100% sure of how this came about. But I'm assuming that when DWB turned into a professional organ, they wanted to sort of spread their wings a bit and wanted to get into media production. And so formed Dreamwatch Media and financed... The Terence Dick script that was directed by Kevin John Davis, who, as we all know, the previous year had done 30 Years in the TARDIS and made Shakedown. Well, presumably it came times. from 30 Years in the TARDIS because he was so mm. successful at that. And also, yes. 30 Years in the TARDIS had these little, little yes. scenes where he's Vignettes. making basically amateur productions of Doctor Who. Okay. Yeah. Well, Shakedown was a book. No, the book came book after. after. And Downtime was a book as well. That and that after. also came yeah. after. That came out after, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, what they did was Downtime and Shakedown, they thought they were close enough to Doctor Who that mm. the guys at the New Adventures said to him, will you rewrite uh, it as a book? Okay, well, the book was... I quite enjoyed the book. It was a, a Shakedown. Yeah, it was, a, it was a romp, really. It was a Terence Dick, Dick's novel. Um, and that, that film appears in it in a short... Yeah, moment. what what Terence Dix does with the book the is do a wraparound time. story around the film in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And again, have you seen the film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got the film. Of course, I've got the of course, film. he's seen the film. It's only <laughs> Zygon he hasn't seen. Ah, the only one he's never <laughs> seen <laughs> is the one he really wants. I'm beginning, to see. I'm beginning to suspect that Lee's got power of the Daleks somewhere. Well, <laughs> I've been talking to my friend Ian. No, um, I tell you what, though, Lee will be pounding down the high street to get a copy of Zygon after we finish here. <laughs> yeah. But not do you have a license to save the planet? For some Lee time. <laughs> but, yeah, no, Shakedown. Uh, the one, well, it, it's it's slight. It's a slight story. Mm. It's it takes a bit place of, on a spaceship, a of, right? It's a space yeah. yacht or something. Yeah, it's, it's quite. F it's fun. It's a bit of fun. It's got. It's got a rootin in it again, and you've got a Santara and I think hunting the rootin, and that's all it is. It's basically horror Frank Rock in space, but um, it's got Brian Croucher in it. The Santara and Jan Chapel. Yeah, the Santara are Blake Seven. Are, are they? Uh, I don't think particularly well designed. They look like 
little raisins. Uh, they're, they're sort of mm. ribbed, aren't they? <laughs> wow, man. Well, they, they are. They've sort no, of, they are. Yeah. They're, they're like, because the normal Sontaran yeah. is quite smooth, but mm. this shakedown ones are I'm wondering again. For extra like, pleasure. Like so what are you saying? <laughs> I mean, let's not beat <laughs> around this bush any longer. But what <laughs> you're saying is... Sontarans are phallic. A Sontar, the Sontarans <laughs> in shakedown look like a penis in a suit. Yeah, more so than Alpha Centauri. What bloody no, penis no, 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 have no. you got? No, have you Sontar seen the state of these no, Sontarans? My, my conjecture is the Sontaran <laughs> in the original series looks like a penis. Well, the Sontarans in shake, Shakedown look like a penis that has something wrong with it. Yes. Old man has a penis. Oh, God. Possibly. Possibly. No, that's explicit. That's on. more your area, Jay. 18. Mm. What do you mean that's my area? <laughs> You've never seen my area. What are you talking about? <laughs> we do these in. Well, anyway, we, Andy, we, we podcast um, in yes, the news. Let's, let's, let's cross over Project <laughs> Bench, shall we? <laughs> there's no hiding it. But we've also got Caroline Ford, Caroline Ford in it. Doesn't yeah. she play the captain of the ship or something? Oh, I can't remember. Sophie, or Sophie Aldred, Michael Wisher. Yeah, no, Brian Crouch. Blimey, yeah, I've forgotten. Does Caroline Ford suspects. give a starring performance? It's all right. Um, <laughs> Mm. <laughs> okay, yeah. I, it's. I think you need to does, watch it. Does Caroline Ford listen to this <clears throat> podcast? No, but okay. do you know what we need to do? I reckon we need to watch that, like we've done the Airzone Solution. Oh, so, Dreamwatch yeah. Media, send us a copy of your film. Yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> review copy. Right, that's my uh, begging done for the week. Should have a nice collection in the post. Yeah. Or maybe I'm. Yeah. yeah. Okay, then it summing up on the whole thing. There were 15 years in which there was no Doctor Who on yeah. the TV. And if you were missing your Doctor Who, you probably were just about getting enough of the fix from this stuff to keep you still interested. I get the impression it's less about the pleasure of watching them and more about the fact that there's some sort of incubator for people that are now making the series and also for keeping the myth going as well, well more for keeping the myth going because I don't think all... anybody here apart from Nicholas Briggs has actually gone on to work on the series <laughs> Mark, Mark Gators mm. oh Gators yeah sorry yeah. Has, um... and a lot of them are still working on Big Finish and Big Finish yeah. is yeah, yeah, a secondary yeah. incubator for the series as well mm -hmm. so it is this yeah. kind of and they're all ambitious this I'm is, glad they exist the because I've, I've, I've enjoyed watching all of these mm. even though they're not up to the mark mm. uh, in a lot of cases but you know it's it filled those fifteen years, like you say, those yeah. wilderness years. Yeah, I, and I, it was it was like the Virgin novels. They weren't quite what I wanted. I wanted just Doctor Who back mm. on TV. That's what I wanted. Mm. And these were just about enough to in the yeah. I think what it what it underlines really is the passion that Doctor Who fans have, you know, had still have for the for the series that they were willing to. Um, you know, spend huge amounts of time. Get up off their backsides, basically. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, let's face it, there are virtually no other TV series or shows where the fans would feel so impassioned about a series that has disappeared. They go off and they make their own versions of it, whether it's audio books or um, you know, video dramas. Mm. Um, and it, so it just underlines how much. Um, love there is for the series yeah. as and much as the, anything. That's the thing about Doctor Who fans, they seem to be more creative 
going fans of, um, of almost anything sort of, else and sort of knees deep in Doctor Who fandom but mm. they seem to be more creative more literate than other fans. it's inspired more creative yeah. creativity because than... there's more flexibility in the format mm. so you can have exploding churches and crashing spaceships and other dimensions and it, and and it fits ones, and yeah exactly works. and garden paths yeah. um, I got two very quick film reviews to do one is the 1997 version of The Borrowers, the one with John Goodman in. Oh, right. Do you know I said about the other week about fabulous films who have the rights to these certain areas of the Universal or yeah. whatever it is, back catalogue, and they're putting the stuff out. They're putting The Borrowers out. Does anybody here know The Borrowers, the mm -hmm. version with John yeah. Goodman? Great film, I thought. No, I haven't seen it, no. Uh, it's good. It's got virtually nothing to do with the novel. Mm -hmm. They take huge liberties, but in taking huge liberties, actually come up with something that works really well as a film works really well on both levels for children and for adults mm -hmm. it's um, got a really strange colour palette that really works in selling it as a sort of parallel version of the universe in which something like The Borrowers could really exist mm -hmm. and the story itself is very slight but is absolutely filled with character and incident so it really works really well mm -hmm. it's always on the move, there's plenty there to engage kids but by the same token, the characterization and the storyline itself, the underlying plot, also has plenty to engage adults. So I think as a children's movie, it is a really, really good one, basically. Mm -hmm. um, the other film is Backtrack, <clears throat> which is an Australian film, which essentially is a new film. Essentially starts on the same level as Sixth Sense mm -hmm. and then moves into the territory of the Mothman prophecies. Okay. I can't say any more than that because oh. to give anything it what Backtrack does is instead of setting things up and then stringing you along before it pays them off at the end, what it does is it sets stuff up and then pays it off, and in paying it off, sets up something else. So the film essentially has four acts, perhaps, and each act will set something off and pay, set something up, and then pay it off in order to get you into the next act. So, although it's quite a slow film with lots of quite slow and languorous scenes, it's actually also really quick in terms of the story. And the supernatural stuff that's in there is very well done. So even though it's all kinds of things that you've probably seen done before, they're done so well that they still really work. And by the same token, there are two things going on here <clears throat> with the writer-director. One is that he starts the film with a couple of sequences where you think you're seeing something supernatural, and then he pulls the rug out, essentially, in a way and shows that actually what you think you're seeing that supernatural has a natural cause mm -hmm. so that when the supernatural stuff does happen it's the more effective mm -hmm. but also what he's doing there is he is giving you a symbol to show that although there's a supernatural element in the film which is the same supernatural element actually that you get in Edge of Darkness and I shan't point out why it's the same for fear of giving away too much yeah. What he's doing is saying to the audience that although this is a film with supernatural elements, when you get to the end of the film, it's not 
a supernatural thing that it has been revolving around. And although by the time you get to the last half an hour, you can kind of work out where it's going, and it does, it does it really, really well. It's got Sam Neill in, in a fairly small role, and it's got, oh my God, Adrian Brody. Sam Neill, okay. described by Tom Baker as the most boring actor in the world. That's really? The I like him. <laughs> No, but I, Tom, I, I can I, always I, remember Tom Baker describing him as the most really? boring actor in the world. I because would, I would agree. <clears throat> oh, really? Uh, he's Not very... the most, but I just found him a favourite. Did they work together? I have no idea. <clears throat> Apart from Peaky Blinders, I thought he was good in that. Well, he's very good in this, mm. but for what he does. Mm. And he has one moment in this, subtle rather than boring. Good. He has one moment in this. Where he has to do something subtle, and he does it so subtly that it is really, really effective. Um, But the the lead star in this is Adrian Brody, and as we all know, Adrian Brody is an absolutely fantastic actor. Mm. And even though he's in this short eighty-minute sort of pulp fictiony thing here, he gives just as good a performance as he'll give anywhere else, including Mm. in The Pianist. Mm. And he's amazing, and he carries the film, and everybody else is in the film raises their game to match him. And so, yeah, and so although it is just a sort of, it's not cheap, it's made with a decent enough budget to Mm. have things like train crashes and stuff that are carried off really well, Mm. it's a modest little horror film or modest little psychological thriller, and actually it is just very, very well done and works. Do you know the name of the director or? Can't remember. Sorry, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, shall, I shall have to look out for it. Yeah. Sounds interesting. Yeah. There'll be a review of it turning up on the Starburst website probably mm. before this podcast goes out so people can look it up. Mm. But I'd say if you're into your horror films or your psychological thrillers, um, and especially if you like The Sixth Sense or mm. The Mothman Prophecies, yeah. this isn't doing what those two films did, but it's doing something that's close enough that mm. if you like those films, you almost certainly would also like this. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of visceral horror kind of it's in your face. Stuff, st- stuff that plays with your mind. Yeah. It, it kind of much more interesting. Don't look now. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's, It's not that psychological. No, I know. I but just, it's... I just love don't look now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mention yeah. it at any moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. And he did. Yeah. <laughs> right. I guess that's it. So uh, you're going to get the... Uh, the uh, version with the middle eight before we go to our <laughs> other new theme next week. Excellent. Uh, next week, Andy and Matt and I will be reconvening to talk about the problems with Series 9. Okay. Oh, crikey. <laughs> and why they may or may not be problems. Okay. Uh, but until then, I was JR. I was Andy. I was Lee. And I was Matt. And we will speak again soon.
if I do it like that. We will speak again soon. Just be one of those. Making friends with the listeners. Just be one of those nights. Remember, they'll be listening to you in the bedrooms, in the bathrooms. They're also going to be wondering why there's a massive echo going on. It's be like one of the videos we've been talking about. No, I give it the echo when I edit it. Well, we will. No, you don't, do you? You don't put echo on our voice. <laughs> no, you mean the echo coming from being in this corner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get rid of it. Oh, well, oh, I noticed it. my kitchen has more of an echo. My kitchen didn't sound quite right. Yeah, because so. there's only so much you can do to get yeah. rid of something, and yeah. your kitchen is more yeah. difficult to get rid of it. Right. Mm, they might have to come up with a solution to that. Yeah, just nail cushions to the wall. I don't know. Bring, bring the mattress maybe down. My, maybe my bedroom. I'm not recording a <laughs> podcast in your it's bedroom. Nice. It's got good acoustics. You we'll, know, we'll get under the duvet. It's, it's got nice. good acoustics. We've only just met. <laughs> That's what you need. To a bedroom if I Bring no. the duvet down. We're still recording. Yeah, we'll pin, it to the, <laughs> pin it to the ceiling so that it dampens oh, yeah. the sound that's rising yeah. and it doesn't echo back down that's onto it. us. I do have a study. I have a study. That's the kind of thing an artist might say. I got a study, and I take your painting here. Books and I'd be more worried if he said, "I've got a basement." I don't have a basement. That's fine. But I can. I got a I cellar. A, I have a very, I have a very large cupboard. I don't got a basement. I got a cellar. Yeah. I'm posh. You, you know, you know what? There's no problems with series nine. I'll see you in about months' time. <laughs> I don't have a basement, but I've got a shovel. I can make one. <laughs> With your skull. 